Six from around the world by showcasing their professions, passions, and perspectives. I'm your host, Mathir Singh, aka the Net Nehung. Why Guruji ka Khalsa? Khalsa. Why Guruji ki Fateh? Jawala Singh, welcome to the Net Nehangs Arena. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited. Just to give people a little bit of background on you, you are an academic author, lawyer. You're a lecturer at the University of California, Berkeley, creator of the Sudish podcast, and you authored a book, uh, 54 Punjabi Proverbs. And you are also currently doing a PhD at the University of British Columbia. Correct. Yeah. All of that. <laughs> a lot of stuff on your plate. <laughs> It's been busy. Yeah. So, I mean, sorry for, for delaying so long. You've been reaching out to me for months and months, maybe over a year now, asking me to come on. And uh, yeah, because of all that, because I'm quite busy, uh, not had the time, but I'm happy to jump on now. Yeah. Yeah. Glad no, I, I, really, uh, I really appreciate it. So I I came across you with your Sudage podcast. Um, <clears throat> phenomenal work. Um you're going to be a little controversial for a lot of my audience, <laughs> you know, so I might as well throw that out there a little bit. But uh, I think one thing that's missing, um, especially for people that live in like Canada, US and UK, we have, we are very disconnected from um, the original history, the original writings. The, so we rely a lot on reinterpretations of things and, um, very liberal editing of those things to maybe present a specific picture. And for me, I'm familiar, like uh, Ratan Singh Pangu's Pant Prakash. Um, I was familiar with Santok Singh, but, you know, kind of it was framed in a way, different way than from what I heard when I heard you actually saying, talking about it and, and going through it. But uh, for me, um, whether you actually believe it literally or not, it is those original texts that were written in the time closest to the Guru's periods. And it's important for us to understand what was written because you get a lot of clues. It, whether you believe it literally or not, you're getting a lot of clues into what was happening in the environment, what was the political environment, what was the social environment, and why was the guru so driven and 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 so like single-minded focus on setting up a bunt, right? So I I really, really appreciate what you did. It is so incredible because people like me. We know we read Gurbani. We have some basic understanding of Gurbani. We can read history books that are written in English. You know, we. Mm -hmm. I try to read those Dr. Sangat Singh's, you know, History of the Six and whatever you can get your hands on. But um, the difficulty is when historical texts that are written in poetry style. It, you not only do you have to be able to read it and understand it, you have to be able to interpret it. And that's one thing that you did brilliantly with the Sudage podcast. You took the original work, you took by Veer Singh's work, you took other resources, 
um, Gurbalas Patsai and Shaving, Gurbalas Patsai and Dasmi, and you're referencing them and you put it together and then you're telling a story in a, but like, honestly, I, I listen to it and it's playing in my head. Like I'm watching an episode of Game of Thrones or, or something like that. The music you use, the tone you set, uh, the, um, the way you explain the scenery is so in depth. So if you don't mind just talking about Swedish podcast for, for a little bit, yeah. can you go into a little bit like um, how you were able to do that kind of work and exactly what does it take to put out a 10, 15 minute episode of the Swedish podcast? Um, well, yeah, sure. I'll get into that. I just want to like go back a little bit to kind of earlier on what you said, opening it up talking sure. about, you know, I may be a little bit controversial for some of your audience. And what I want to stress here is that the majority of the work that perhaps might make people think that way is just me making accessible texts of our, you know, tradition. So like you mentioned, Bangu's text, that has been translated. Surish Burkash, uh, the Santok Singh's text that you mentioned, which is what the Surish podcast is, what I do, as you mentioned, is I just go chapter by chapter. Uh, the Surish Prakash text is just an enormous text. It's, you know, over 1200 chapters. Mm. It's the largest single piece of Sikh literature that we have ever written, ever written. Yeah. Um, and that covers the history of Guru Nanak up to Guru Gomez Singh. Uh, whereas Pant Prakash mainly deals with the 18th century, so into the 1700s, how the Singhs and how the Khalsa Pant you know, establish their Raj, their kingdom there. But Surish Parkash specifically is just dealing with the stories of the gurus. And, mm. you know, how I was able to do what I do in terms of, you know, looking at the podcast, it took many years. You know, I started out um, first just looking at specific passages that I wouldn't want to translate. Um, and I have a blog, manglacharan.com, where Whatever I found interesting when I, you know, when I was looking at old texts, whether it be Pangus, Pant Prakash, Surj Prakash, Sarblo Grant, there's portions of Dasam Grant I put up, uh, Gurubalas Pachai Shami, all these texts written in the 18th century. Basically, I, I, you know, I would skim them, I would look through them, what kind of popped out. I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I wanted to dissect that, wanted to translate that. And I thought, you know, if I'm doing that for my sake, why not throw that online as well? Um, you know, at least one person is going to be interested in that um, <laughs> other than me. You know, um, it's not going to be a big uh, audience, uh, but that was not ever the point. You know, if somebody's interested in that, that's great. Uh, however, few people. And, you know, through that practice of translation. So like you mentioned, I, I take help from Veer Singh and, and others. So Veer Singh, what he has done when he's published Suresh Prakash in the 1930s is that he's put footnotes sometimes explaining, you know, the more difficult words in that text. And you mentioned that the text is in poetry. The text is set up in chapters. So like each prasang, each katha, each story is like a chapter long. And that's that would be like 40 to 60 verses, depending on the chapter. And um, it's a poetic meter. So mm. there are some commentaries on Suresh Prakash. People have written underneath the lines in Punjabi, albeit a little loosely, to be honest. Um, and online on gurmatvichar.com, you can find people doing gatha of the text. So this is a text that since, you know, Santok Singh wrote this in the 1840s, we know at least by 40 years after that, that that text had gone, that text had spread. People were doing katha of that text. 
at all the tuckets, basically like uh, you know a call tucket, a nanpursaib, and elsewhere. Um, that text had just become like the gold standard of historical texts um, at that time and continues to be. So even people to this day have recorded every single chapter of that text and it's on gurumatvichar.com. I happen to like uh, Sandhagani Indriji Singh's uh, Katha on uh, Suraj Prakash and I listen to that. So that's mm-hmm. what I do as well. So, you know, okay. I've been covering on the podcast <laughs> Guru Hargobind's Katha, Guru Hargobind's history. So what I'll do is I'll listen to Katha of, of, uh, that I find online of that portion that I'm looking to translate. Then I'll sit down and look at the commentary and then I'll then, you know, try to translate it myself. And I'll try to see, OK, if there's difficult portions, I'll kind of lean heavier on the Katha. Um, if there's portions where I think that the commentary perhaps has been loose in the translation, I'll try to provide a more accurate uh, translation of that. And oftentimes, like you mentioned, sometimes I have to give context I have to explain, OK, this at that time, people were doing these certain things. These right. were cer- certain customs, perhaps at that time people were doing, because some of it is a little, um, it is different than what you read today. And that's what I found so interesting about the text is that it presents history in such a different lens than, than how like you read a modern uh, take on right. history that I just found it so interesting. I'm like, and it was imbued with such flavor. And like, uh, y- like you mentioned that when you listen to an episode, you feel like you're there. Yeah. So I'm literally just reading out what Santok Singh has written. I'm doing it in English, but he's the one who's painting those pictures, right? Okay. I may add to it by throwing some, uh, you know, music around it that I see, you know, that will help uh, the vibe, right? That'll help. It's we also reception. modernize the language a little bit, right? Like, like several times you've referenced making it rain, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, I feel like that, that, helps make it relatable for a lot of people that specific (laughs) reference though that is actually like the line it says i think the word is vodka or vodka literally means so even they're employing the same idiom that we would use now like make it rain like throwing money up yep they were also using that um, oh wow okay they were also making that uh, idiom as well so sometimes you know that you know like how old is that text nearly 200 years they're using the similar idioms which is i see which is funny right but sometimes you're right sometimes you have to change it up just so that it will be received properly because oftentimes like this is a problem that we have sometimes we read gurbani translations and something we're like we don't understand the english how are we going to understand you know because they're using english from like the 1950s or 20s or something right so yeah um it's a very bible-like english Right. That old yes. English, like they got to use words like thou and, and things like that. And of course, that becomes unrelatable. And then the other challenge you run mm. into is uh, the lost in translation, you know, yes. thing. You know, like there's just some things that you, you try to say it one way and it's going to conjure an image. Like, for example, uh, I, we don't have to go into this now, but like just the idea of using the word God instead of saying Waiguru or something else. Mm. God has a very uh, Christian imagery. So, not that I don't think there's anything wrong with using the God, but you have to be aware of what subconsciously is going to come up in someone's mind because of the societies we live in and because of the weight that word has already established. Absolutely. That's what makes translation so difficult um, is that you really need to know how a certain word is going to be interpreted on both sides of that, mm-hmm. how it was written, you know, at that time, and then how it will be 
uh, interpreted today. So, I mean, that that is the real big challenge in terms of conveying information. And, you know, Gurbani is using all these terms that we don't use today. So, you know, it, yeah. it takes a lot for us to think about that. But yeah, that is a huge challenge for anybody yeah, well, in this. Field. Well, I think you navigate it very well. And I think that was the thing, like, like I said, um, it's very vivid, but it's also very relatable because it's you're saying it in English, but you're you're careful about what words you use. But I was surprised because I I like I said I'm not able to read it, interpret it. You know, even if I read it, I'm not really understanding what I'm reading. You know, it's just kind of uh, just mechanical reading. So um, when you're describing things, it hit me. It struck me how much detail is there. Like Kavi uh, Santokhsing is describing the blow came from the right side, went down from the left shoulder to the right hip, you know, like that amount of detail, you know, if nothing else, I was trying to explain this to somebody recently because they were like, Oh, I just focus on the Gravani. You know, I don't believe, you know, these things. And I'm like, that's fine. You know, you don't have to, but it is our written history. But one of the points I tried to make to him was like, if we made a movie today about the six and you had like James Cameron directing this movie or whatever, you know, or, or whoever the JJ Abrams or one of the new guys, whatever, um, they're going to take some type of artistic Liberty to convey things. But so like, just because we watch Braveheart, right. And we get so inspired at that story of Braveheart. Well, somebody had to take the artistic liberty to say this guy's going to run this way and that guy's going to clash here and this one guy's going to get beheaded. So I, I can see that. And it kind of struck me. I was like, yeah, you know what? Today we would watch a movie. But in those days, you needed people like Santok Singh to inspire you with the storytelling, not just tell the story. Right. It's not it's not a documentary. It's supposed, it's meant to inspire that these were the qualities of the gurus. These were the qualities of the six that followed that guru. Yes, absolutely. And, and he's doing something that is continuing a tradition that has set, has been set by the gurus. Number one, just firstly on that sword, uh, you know, strike. We even know from contemporary sources, there was a Zoroastrian who kind of traveled India and he wrote this little book, Dabastan, it's called, where he interviews different groups different traditions. He interviewed some six as well. And even those six at those times, he actually met Guru Hargobind and Guru Hararai. Even those six at those times were talking about, oh, this is the type of strike. It didn't oh. mention specifically, but it was mentioning this is like they knew at that time, oh, the Guru did this type of strike, uh, which is so insane and fascinating to know. Yeah. Um, and so Santok Singh is kind of carrying this tradition on because those uh, references are mentioned in previous texts from the 1700s in Gorbalas Pache Shemi. So Dok Singh yeah. is then using that information and presenting it in an even more vivid light. I see. Um, and the, but in terms of inspiring and kind of making it your own, even if we look at Jandi Divar, Guru Gobind Singh's version of like a very older story of yeah. uh, Dorga Pavani Pagoti, in his version he has guns. Yeah, right. this is a mythological story, right? There's right, no guns right. back in the day, right? And in the old Indic texts, there was no guns. There right. was sword, you know, arrows. But in Guru Gobind Singh's version, you know, he's talking to an audience that has guns, right? So he's like, you know what? I'm going to put guns in this version. So that I find is like really interesting in how somebody can engage with an old text, repurpose it, and make it applicable to an audience of their time, right? And that's what I feel like we're doing today as well, um, especially on the 
on the podcast, right? So we're looking at Synthetic Things text. We're trying to interpret it. We're trying to use terminology that is not deviating from the original and we're changing it because that has happened when looking at these texts. But what we're going to do is, you know, be accurate, but contextualize it and say, okay, why is the poet, why is the author using this? Is it referenced right. in the story prior to this? So oftentimes uh, texts like Suresh Prakash will get criticized. You know, why is it including this story? Why is it saying this? Um, you know, Santok Singh is just an expert uh, referencer. And you can actually look back into the texts of the 1800s, sorry, 1700s, 18th century. And you'll find much of what you find mm. controversial in Santok Singh's text. He's just taking that from a tradition that he inherited that comes before him. Um, so all of which to say it, this kind of repurposing and making it applicable is a tradition that has been used by the gurus themselves and using stories like Haranakshan, Prahalad, right? You know, that's not a sick story. Yeah. In Rehras yeah, yeah, yeah. at the start, we say Haranaksha, Dusht Haramariya, Prahalad Raya. That's a story that comes from another tradition. Right. We're taking it as an example and using it to prove a different point, right? Yeah. That the divine protects his devotees, right? Not to say that, okay, yeah, we have to, you know, give a thumbs up to every single thing in their tradition that they use, right? Yeah, no, so, I, mean, I, think, I think we see this in just modern movies and art and stories anyway. Like, we've seen different versions of this Batman, right? Mm. It's the, the, the core story, the core lessons are the same. You know, the question between being a vigilante and being a criminal, where's the line? You know, what, what about the motivation? You know, using fear as a tactic to get what you want. Those are the common themes, but the story has been retold depending on the artist who wants to tell that story with some, you know, different tones, like the Batman, the new movie, very different than the original uh, ones with Michael Keaton. And so, you know, they have totally different tones, even though same characters, same storyline. So, yeah, it's interesting to think of it that way. But I, I do have a question for you. It, it, it This has actually bugged me, but somehow it made sense because... I followed along completely just fine. But why did you start with Bidichand and Guru Hargobind? Then, then, and then not, okay, so first of all, why did you start with Guru Hargobind Sahib out of the whole text? And then why go out of order with his story and start with Bidichand? <laughs> because um, the simple answer is there was no master plan. There was no plan even to start a podcast. Oh, okay. Um, Basically, my engagement with the Suraj Prakash text is I'm doing a PhD and my dissertation is going to focus on this text specifically. And to do that, I wanted to get a like a good grasp of the text. So I started listening to Katha as much as I could. And I really enjoyed the Katha of Guru Hargobind specifically because Guru Hargobind's time is when you see this dramatic change in the tradition, right? Right. And through that contrast and through that change, you get almost a a really deep understanding of, okay, what is the essence here? Because there were many Sikhs at that time that saw that change and they were confused. They were wondering, right. why is the guru doing this? Um, is this a deviation? Is this a fault to the guru? People had those questions. Bhai Gurdas addresses those questions, right? Yeah. So wait, um, hang on real quick right there. Sorry. I don't, I don't mean to keep interrupting you, but like no, when you say these kinds of things, they spark things. And I just got to ask, um, it's interesting that you're saying that and, and listening to it, I was like, of course, like people don't change ever. They were the same during Guru Sahib's time as they are today. Similarly, people today will say, 
that can't be Guru Hargobind Sahib. That can't be true because the Guru would have been like Guru Arjan Dev Ji. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? And then the fact that people, even in Guru Hargobind Sahib's time, questioned the the same way, like, is this the correct behavior of a guru? That was fascinating to hear that. Yeah. And this is why I really love these texts as well, is that like the person writing this text is a human. The people (laughs) that he's talking about are humans and they go through human emotions and human questions and human doubt and human experience. And, and that comes out when you read these texts and even by Gurdas, like if you read him, you get it as well. He's talking about these issues as well. And that what, that's what makes it really like striking, but, and, and of course, in these stories, then you have questions and answers with the guru, which are insanely fascinating because yeah. a lot of the questions that you have during, you know, in these texts, people, you hear them at like a Sikhi camp or you hear them at like a SSA, you know, university meeting right. students are like, well, you know, why do we do this? Why do we do that? You have the same questions. And now we get, you know, people like Kavi Santolk Singh, who are just rever- like, you know, renowned scholars, you know, writing answers to these questions based on old sources, yeah. which I find is just like so amazing. But sorry, going back to the original yeah, question about yeah. how we kind of get started with Guru yeah. Hargobind, it was just, um, and and the whole podcast as a whole was just, I was listening to Katha, I found things interesting. I have a group right. of friends who I was listening to the Katha and listening to Katha itself is difficult in the sense that the Katha is in Punjabi, so you need a base knowledge of Punjabi. But even people who understand Punjabi, there's a certain kind of set of terminology that is not, you'd have to really dig into it to get comfortable just listening to Katha over okay. and over again. So a lot of my friends, they were not listening to that. I would send them audio notes. Of, oh man, this in this Zhang, this happened in this battle, this happened. You know, the guru answered this question about this and they were fascinated. I was telling them about the Bidichan story and I sent them audio notes of it. And the audio notes, you know, started to pile up and we were like, why don't we just record these audio notes? Huh. Actually, I, it wasn't even my idea. It was my friend's idea. Like, why don't we record the audio notes, polish it up. Cause I was just sending it to them offhand yeah. and we'll just get through Bidichan stories. Like <laughs> this was kind of the initial plan, right? Which, which is like basically where we started was about halfway through Guru Hargobind's uh, time as guru, not, you know, and not a, especially good place to start if you're trying to do it chronologically. And, uh, but so we said, okay, let's try this out. And we started, to put some music around it. Mm. Um, you know, we began, we had no idea how long this would last. If we we're going to do only five episodes, 10 episodes, oh, when wow. I'm recording this with you now, we're at 210 plus, I think. Yeah, so I, I'm caught up to 207. So, crazy. Yeah. I mean, you don't understand. I, I almost got obsessive with it. There was a point where I was, I was getting frustrated that you only put them out 10, 15 minutes at a time. I was like, give me, give me a good hour or two here. <laughs> you know, I was doing these, I, I, I flip houses and, and I have a project. I'm in Michigan. I have a project in New Jersey. So I would drive nine, nine and a half hours back and forth. So I would listen. I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan and stuff. I know that's, that's also going to get some eye rolls or whatever, but what you don't know what you're talking about. So, uh, <laughs> um, but I also listened to uh Sorge podcast. I'm saying he was, he was actually my last guest a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I would listen to him and then I would listen to the Suraj podcast and 
I would get just totally lost in it. And so that's, I, I was always curious about that. Like why you pick Guru Hargobind Sahib to start with and then why specifically Bidhi Chand and they kind of go back, but that makes a lot of sense. So where did you get the um, education to be able to do this? Are you, you're born in Canada? Yeah. So born and raised in Ottawa, actually um, okay. outside of like, you know, the capital of Canada. Yeah. Um, what some four hours east of Toronto and um yeah, I was born there, raised there. I was after my undergrad, I actually went to India to study uh Gurbani Santhya for about six months. Uh spent some more time with my teacher after that, Santhgani Indraji Singh. And then through that, slowly, slowly, um, I started being able to translate text. And okay. you know, it's a skill that is still polishing up, still refining, and I'm sure there's plenty of mistakes along the way. Um, you know, and I ask for forgiveness for all of that, but, um, it's a part of the podcast itself is an endeavor to get better at translating. So yeah. Interesting. Initially, the first few episodes, I would look at a podcast and I'd give kind of a syncape of it, a kind of a summary of, okay, in this chapter, these are the things that happen. But as I went along, I started to think, why not use this as an opportunity, like to get better at translating and translate every single line. Mm. So that then increased uh, the amount of effort that went into each episode. And that's why I don't release them that often. Um, I'm trying to release them as often as I can, but each episode takes about two, three hours, at least an hour and a half, two hours, maybe on translating because it's about 40 to 60 verses per chapter. And each episode is just one chapter. And, um, you know, that's a lot of translation. I have to sit there. I have to listen to the Gata. I have to use dictionaries, etc. So my training then was, you know, looking at the, the specific language in this text is called Braj Pasha. Yeah. Some people call it Bridge Pasha as well in Punjab. Usually they'll change it to Bridge. And um, it's the same language that is used for uh, Guru Gobind Singh Ji's Barney a lot, and also right. Guru Tegh Bahadur's Barney. Some of Adh Guru Granth Sahib is, is using that as well. And so it became a perfect exercise for me, you know, get these stories out. They're really interesting. They're really fascinating. Uh, they're really captivating in, in the way that the poet has kind of structured, setting the scene, uh, setting the emotion, plot building, character building. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many levels where you could just dive in and just enjoy um, how the author, how the poet Santok Singh is kind of constructing these stories because he's really a curator. Mm-hmm. You know, he has this vast library that came before him that was written in the 1800s, or sorry, 1700s. And he's curating that information and he's doing so skillfully that you do feel like you're there and you do humanize yeah. with both the six at that time and the guru themselves. Like uh, so many comments that I've gotten people inboxing me saying, you know, it really humanizes the guru. And yeah. I always thought that was, I was not sure what type of reaction would that would come from this podcast, but that was one that kind of shocked me a little bit because it's not to say that there's not portions of the text, which relate to miracles and religion, which relates to mythology, right? But because there's such, it's, it, the text is so imbued with emotion and like flavor yeah. that people just kind of are kind of captivated by that and they can relate and they can feel um, right. um, the text and they can feel the guru in a sense, right? And that's why um, you have people that are like, you know, I'm going to focus on Gurbani and um, not look at Itaha's history. But it becomes very difficult. Like you see the younger generations, it's like, why 
this is a question that many students and, and younger people have is like, if you don't have a connection with Guru Nanak, with Guru Angad, Guru Ramardas, Guru Ramdas, Guru Arjun Devji, Guru Hargobind, like all the gurus, how are you going to be interested in what they wrote? No, you know, that's really interesting. You, Actually, uh, uh, the way I think about it, when I because some people could say, "Well, we shouldn't humanize the gurus; they were above us, or whatever." I'm I'm not thinking of it that way. I'm thinking in the sense that it, it makes them real. Like you, you realize that they were real people. They're not just. They're not also mythology. They're not just stories. They were real people making military decisions, or they were real people making family decisions and social decisions. And 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 um, you kind of also realize that because we think, you know, I used to do this exercise. It's somebody I probably stole it from somebody, but like with camps or retreats, you know, like what would you? How would you act if Guru Gobind Singh was sitting here in the Devon Hall right now? Mm. You know, they'd be oh, I would sit straight. I would listen to everything he says. I would follow whatever <laughs> he says. You're like, well, Guru Granth Sahib is here. That's your guru. It's uh-huh. here. And how, so why aren't you acting like that now? Right. But it's because we have a hard time thinking of the guru as a real person. Like Guru Nanak Dev Ji was a 15 year old kid at one point. He was a 25 year old young man still teaching people. Right. I mean, we, we lose track of that, that the gurus were actual people. So when I hear humanizing them, I don't think of it as like, bringing them down to the human level and suffering the mm. human condition of calm, growth, low, mohanka. They were above that. And they showed us how to be above that, but they were real people. And that's one thing that comes out. And you're right. Like the miracles and the mythology and stuff. I don't know how to take that. Um, I started to think of it like, um, actually I got this from the Soch podcast when uh, the um, Nihang Nadar Singh was on and he was talking about uh you know, like some of the paintings of Guru Gobind Singh with eight arms. He's like, this is not to represent him as the as a goddess with eight arms. It was representing the eight hand strikes in martial arts, that he was a master of these eight hand strikes. That's what that painting represents. So then I started thinking, okay, um, so the angels, uh, you know, these angels of death come down and devour bodies or the, the, um, devtas of the mountain winds and stuff coming down and they take out the armies i'm like this is a artistic representation of how this battle is being won it it doesn't necessarily literally mean that which i think that's where the controversy comes in people hear this and they go oh that's just a bunch of mythology and foolishness Mm. well there's a lot of mythology in guru grunsad too Right. This is a thing. Those uh, there's a couple of things I want to mention on this. First sure. of all, you're absolutely correct that the same type of criticism that <clears throat> people lay on texts like Pan Prakash, Suraj Prakash, etc., you know, engaging in Indic mythology, the same type of mythology is engaged in in Guru Granth Sahib. Yeah. Um, you can look. Um, just plugging my YouTube page, uh, Javal Lessing. There's a talk on there. I did with Akfa, this uh, a UK Punjabi Heritage Association called the Merit of Myth, and okay. it kind of goes into deeper uh, understanding about what is myth actually doing. Like you mentioned, you mentioned Batman earlier, right? Yeah. And you were talking on a level that was like, oh, what are like the what are the narratives underneath the actual story? Right. Like you talked about good versus evil, about how to engage with pain or, or some of these elements that you were talking right. about, right? And that's a deeper understanding. Most people are just going to look at the story and be like, oh, Batman beat Joker up and, yeah. and this and that, right? <laughs> right, right? But you can see then how these stories are layered, right? 
for some yeah. of the audience, like a younger audience, they're going to be like, oh, awesome. Batman beat up X and Y and Z. So yeah. therefore, maybe it's good to be strong. Maybe I should stand up for myself. Maybe I should exercise, you know, as a young kid, maybe I should do Taekwondo or right. whatever, right. you know, but the adult's going to look at that and be like, ooh, this is very interesting. Like, do you let anger like overpower you to make an incorrect decision, even though it's for the better uh, good of society? Like, right. You can see how the storytelling there is structured in a way that it's appealing to various audience. In the same way, I argue that Suraj Prakash and these type of texts in Guru Granth Sahib, Dasam, Guru Granth Sahib, etc., they're doing the same type of thing. To a certain audience, they're presenting the idea like there was the first Jung that we covered in Suraj podcast, I believe, um, the Mughal forces had been sent in improperly kind of uh, equipped um, they sent into the forest. It was in winter and all yeah, this. And, yeah, yeah. and the way the poet there describes how like on like the god of of wind basically yeah. came through and it made it very difficult for the Mughal warriors uh, because it was cold to then use their uh, matchlock rifles. And if you didn't know anything about matchlock rifles, you'd be like. Um, you wouldn't know how to be properly equipped or like the kind of requirements that you would need to do to make sure that, you know, the army would be welfare to fight, you know, kind of a, a guerrilla warfare in a forest. Yeah. How are you going to explain that in a poetic text? Right. Well, you're going to use Indic, you right. know, you're going to use mythology to say that, oh yeah, like, Paul that came through and made it difficult for them where he didn't do that for the six, you know, the six, he explains this. So he provides both sides. Yeah. So if you're a military person and you listen to that story, you're like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. Like the six had little uh, fires that they fires, were using yeah. to kind of light their match. And, you know, like you're able to see both sides of it. Which um, by the which way, I so learned about all of that from you matchlock rifles and all that, and the, and how the six were able to load quicker. You know, that was, that was fascinating. You know, another thing I kind of, um, connected. I, I, you're, I, you could probably tell I'm a movie buff and a comic guy, comic book guy, whatever. But uh, one thing that kind of struck me too was when you're talking about um, um, just the style of the warfare, the inspiration they get. And I started to think about that. Like today, if I was going to battle and I'm part of the U S special forces or something. And I'm, I'm coming to special team. I might be like um, the guy that's got the Superman patch on my shoulder. Right. What does that patch do? Does it mean that I believe there's a guy that flies through the sky that's indestructible or does it kind of remind me of the mentality I need and warn my enemies of the kind of guy I am? You know, like this guy, you know what I mean? So when you watch like the, the Avengers or, or anything like that, you know, if you have an incredible Hulk tattoo or something, you kind of get the idea that that guy is not afraid. He's coming in here like he thinks he's the incredible Hulk. It can cause an intimidation factor. So to have references to things like Hanuman and and other things that people would be aware of as superhero types that are above human capability and could strike fear in your heart, the hearts of their enemies and inspire you to perform at a different level that you kind of helped me make that connection with. Yeah. You know, before I would have been like, Oh, come on. They weren't, they weren't Hindu worshipers. You know, why would, why would someone write this? 
But I think hearing it in that context, now, I don't know whether they were or not either. You know, I'm also interpreting things looking back, you know, but I could see that. I could all, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I have a Superman T-shirt that I like to wear. <laughs> you know, why do I wear that? It's not because I believe in this mythology. It's because hmm. it's inspiring me and it's telling and other people look at me and they go, oh, he's wearing Superman. He's a good guy or something, you know. No, that's that's a great way to think about it in terms of what does it represent? Not right. the literal, right? Like you have texts in the 1700s, which is like Kalsa thought of themselves as Hanuman in the right. sense that they were strong. They were devoted to their divine. And, you know, they were basically the muscle, you know? Yeah. And in the same sense, like Guru Hargobin, this comes up in the podcast when Bilichan kind of goes behind enemy lines, you know, and he, he brings back those horses. Yeah. There's a certain type of analogy here about how Hanuman went behind lines and he mm. he brought Sita back and stuff, or news of Sita back, right. and and so it uses that reference not to be like, okay, now we all of a sudden have to take every single fact of Hanuman literally. Right. It's just right. giving, okay, what does the audience um, know about? You know, what are the analogies that we can use that will represent what it means, right? Like Hanuman was like that person that was just so devoted to Ram, right? Yeah. In the same way, Bidichan was so devoted to Guru Hargobind. Right. You know, when Bidichan died, it says in the text, not only in Suraj Prakash, but in Guru Balas Pachai Chemi, you know, text from the 1700s. Guru Hargobind was extremely sad after that. Mm -hmm. Like he he missed Bidichan so much. Um, that was his right-hand man, right? Throughout his whole life, right. Bidijan was there. Um, that uh, it really affected Guru Hargobind. So, I mean, yeah, you're going to use references that people um, understand and you're going to take up ideas and ideals that are inspiring you. And I think this is what Guru Gobind Singh himself is doing, right? He's he's distributing Amrit, that nectar which makes you immortal right? right to who to his akalis to his immortal warriors like his warriors are beyond death they've already you know drank death you know we've right. consumed it we are beyond that right so you have to kind of think in those ways where it's beyond the literal um and then these ideas and these references and these stories they all start to make sense a little bit more yeah. than the literal right so obviously um, the, you yeah. must have been inspired some, like, what was your Sikhi upbringing? What, like in your family, did you have any, or did it come later or was it always there? And then how did you get inspired to start thinking, I, I want to translate text. I want to understand deeper. Like how, where well, did that come it, it from? Came, Sikhi Gurbani came from my father who would kind of recite who would have who would teach me how to recite Gurbani Japji Sahib when I was very young. Um, my mom in the same way, every day reciting Japji Sahib in the morning before eating, etc. etc. So it came from there. My okay. father was really into it. Um, so it was there in the family. Yeah. It was there in the family. And then slowly, slowly, uh, you know, through I guess the people around me, I started getting interested in the older texts, you know, specifically like you know, the older texts present the history in a different light. And that always confused me. And that was always like mm, yeah. something that bugged me, but in a way that I'm like, okay, I want to understand this further. So even while, you know, I was a teenager, I was young, I'd be maybe playing games or something. I like first person shooters, like Counter-Strike or what have you. Yeah. And I would have like a grunt on the side anyways. So like there's rounds and you play 
and then you die or something. You have to wait for the round to restart. Right, I'll just right. kind of be like skimming through like, what's the controversy about Dasam Grant? This was a big thing in like yep. the late 90s, early 2000s on like sick forums, um, which I used to frequent. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Like, what's the deal? Like, none of it made any sense to me uh, growing up, which is why I was like, I would look at it and be like, wow, one day, like, I'm going to try to understand this. Um, so slowly, slowly, I just kind of read it. Um, and then there was portions in there that I thought, okay, if I can translate this, that would help me. And then it would help somebody else. So I put it online. Um, and it just kind of grew from there where I was just started reading more and more. So I was talking to more people. Mm. I was introduced to different teachers. Um, Santakani Indri Singh was one of them that really inspired me. And, uh, I was lucky to spend time with them and they would kind of take me through these texts as well. So, I mean, family. Uh, friends and then uh, scholars like so you had like, it you uh, had it kind of around you and it, it, it just kind of came out of that but uh, one thing that uh, I noticed um, on your website the mangalacharan.com website because um, <clears throat> you have a lot of stuff from Guru Gobind Singh and then um, you know I don't I don't want to get too controversial here I actually I don't care um, I'm just I just want people to understand that there are other perspectives out there and there's a, a, a reason or a resource or a reference to why these other perspectives exist. Like, okay, fine. You want to be against uh bung, You want to be against any kind of cannabis use because you have a certain understanding of Sikhi and Gurbani based in something fine, but understand that the people that maybe do use it or, 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 or do understand it differently there is a reference for it. They're just not making it up. And one thing that you had pointed out was that there have been changes in the Dasam Granth that before there was a reference to maybe Pong that was changed later to references of like Nam or something other to make it kind of more palatable. Um, how um, do you know when these edits, because the other people will claim it's the other way around, that it was right. changed into that to confuse people. Um, well, I do want to clarify here. Um, okay. I don't think I've ever said that Dasam Grant itself was edited. Um, you know, there's work on this uh, in terms of like the printed manuscript, what we have today, the Solda committee that came in, but nothing in, in regard to uh, Sukha or Pong or anything like that has been okay. edited out as, as far as I know. And, and there was a comment. I, I did listen to uh, some of uh, your talk with Amar Singh, Sorge Podcast, oh. and uh, I was really touched by the, the comments at the end, uh, praising Suraj Podcast and all that. Um, Amar Singh did say something there that uh, I mentioned, like Suraj Prakash was edited. That I want to clear up as well. To my knowledge, Suraj Prakash itself has not been edited. Veer Singh has edited other texts like Pant Prakash that has now come out and which is clear to people from the work of uh, Professor uh, Balwan Singh Tillon. He's come out with some work on that. But um, Dasam Grant itself has not been edited, as far as I know, in terms of, you know, taking portions out that relate to Sukha cannabis. Okay. But in terms of interpretation, for sure, um, oh, like I at see. the end, so like Guru Granth Sahib uh, ends with Ataran Das Bees in Ragmala, um, you know, also, anyways, we don't have to yeah, go yeah. into that debate. <laughs> yeah, that's an old other thing. <laughs> that's okay. Um, and then Dasam Guru Gansab ends with Bidesakya Sagras Sabad Gu Gemara Bakaras Jangandru. This is, uh, you know, from the Hakayata. And in that, people take that as being Sukha cannabis. So there, a reference to that. But, 
yeah, in terms of like these old texts, um, basically the way that I kind of look at that is that we have to give deference to the people that we're compiling and writing these texts more so than how we understand it. So for example, just looking, we've all, I mean, heard that Guru Hargobind went to battle. Mm-hmm. If you look at Guru Granth Sahib, there's lines in there like, if somebody punches you, Mukhi, yeah. don't hit him back. Uh, or the line is something to the kind of, you know, I'll, don't I'll, hit them I'll, back. I'll put the line down there for, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You should kiss their feet and then go home, you know, don't hit them back. So with those types of understandings, people could go and, and say, okay, Guru Hargobind is, is um, not adhering to what Gurbani would say. Hmm. You know, there's ways of interpreting Gurbani that um, you could put a different frame on any line in Gurbani and frame it as, okay, there's an injunction here. There's a permission here. Um, you know, there's lines like Thanda Pani Piyo. Rukhi Sukhi Khaikhe Thanda Pani Piyo. This is Farid's line. Yeah. You know, that says, okay, drink cold water. So you're right. not going to have cha, you're not going to have any of the, you know, any other type of drink, Coke, etc. Sprite. You could take lines like that and interpret them very uh, literally and then make whatever type of prescriptions you want. So what I'm doing through like sites, uh, like uh, the post on Mangalacharan is just presenting, okay, what did people of that time, what did they write about? So for example, Santok Singh and both uh, like Santok Singh and Ratan Singh Pangu write about, you know, Sukha cannabis use in the culture. And then you have also lines in the 1700s writing about that as well. And if anything, that should just make us think, okay, what has changed in our culture from now and then we don't have to accept it. We don't have to say like, okay, this is, we all have to do this now all of a sudden it's just making us think a little bit more deeper about, okay, what are some of the changes? Cause a lot of the changes that have occurred are just, we're so blind to, for example, in Punjabi culture, we think, okay, cha is like a Punjabi thing. And we get really angry when somebody <laughs> says, Oh, don't say chai. It's cha, cha is yeah. Punjabi, you right, know, right. but cha is not even our thing. Nobody yeah, was yeah. drinking cha before the British came into Punjab. Right. Right? They, brought, this has, they, they introduced it, right. Yeah, but now it's become so yeah. associated with Punjabi culture, right? And not to say that association is wrong or whatever in the past. Yeah, just however. things evolve. They come from yeah. somewhere and they evolve. Everything works that way. Right. And what were people drinking before that, you know, and how we understand, I think it's really important that we should know that these conceptions about intoxicants um you know are very western right that the ones that we hold now in terms right. of okay like for example alcohol is like alcohol is not a drug but you know in a western mentality right there's alcohol and then there's drugs right right separate how but how different and this is like, there's some really good work on this now, like caffeine, like yeah. is caffeine not an intoxicant? Is caffeine not something which affects, you know, one's mental state? Because no, hundred um, percent it is. Yeah. <laughs> you have, you know, a double espresso and you yeah, feel people can't com- live without you, coffee. They can't even get their day started without it. Right. And meanwhile, um, and then that's like extremely addictive, right? right? You know, people who who drink coffee every day, you take them out for a week and they suffer, yep. right? Yep. And it becomes very difficult for them to do any work. Meanwhile, uh, they'll criticize things which are not addictive physically. So all of which to say that 
things change, things evolve over time, things get adapted as part of the culture, things get rejected part of the culture. You know, these uh, things happen over time. And I find that is interesting just looking at history, like how how do these notions change? And then how do interpretations of Gurbani change? Because, for example, when we look at Santokhsing, this is somebody that's not like, who's not read Gurbani. Santokhsing has written like his tika, his commentary on Japji Sahib is, I think one of the most complicated and sophisticated mm-hmm. interpretations of Japji Sahib I've ever seen. You know, this is not somebody that has not read through who is right. not like imbued uh, with Gurbani. Um, and then we, you know, we're sitting here on our computers. We read like English translations. We read on the weekend, you know, little bits. And we're dealing with people that have studied these texts and who yeah. live the life their whole life. Like even Ratan Singh Pangu becomes a Shaheed fighting against the British. Mm. These people are not unaware of certain passages where, where you're going to be like, yeah, oh, they've read, the, they've read the same Gurbani yeah. and they understand it much better than most likely any of us do. <laughs> yeah. We have very little understanding Gurbani in comparison, all of yeah. us. Um, yeah. So in my mind is, okay, let's give a little bit of deference to these legends, you know, even the people that we think as legends, like Pai Veer Singh, they thought Santok Singh and Pai Ratan Singh Pangu were like legends, you know, Um, they might, they were writing at a time when they were trying to contextualize different things saying that, okay, we should stop. You know, they had vices during that time and they were trying to edit and commentate on, on, on these issues. But, you know, they also held people like Santok Singh and Veer Singh as legends, all I'm trying to say. So, um, yeah, I mean, now we're just rambling yeah, on. Yeah, so no, maybe- no. And, and, you know, the whole cannabis thing, even in the United States, this is really an issue that comes up in the early 1900s. They, Because there was a there's actually a marketing campaign away from hemp because it could have replaced wood paper products. And the paper companies were marketing mm. toward, against hemp and actually got legal action by lobbying against hemp and that changed the tone of how cannabis was treated for a hundred years now. <clears throat> so yeah, our understanding of it is very different. I, okay. I just want to be clear though. I, I'm not condoning. It. I don't know enough about it. I actually don't know enough about the history and the references to say whether it is or isn't. I mean, we do know for a fact that um, cannabis was used as pain medicine and treating wounds and things like that on the battlefield but I don't, I don't know. And probably maybe as a fact otherwise, but I don't know that, but I know that our perception of it is way more negative than it ever would have been, you know, some natural remedy <laughs> that grows out of the ground that you can use medicinally would have been treated that's, much different. That's a good way to think about it. It's <clears throat> like, what type of reaction are we giving to these references and why? Like, would we have the same reaction if, Oh, I like scrape my knee. I'm going to go to the doctor and I get like a Tylenol three, or I'm going to get, you know, something prescription because, Oh, that's okay. Anything prescribed by a doctor, that's not like against uh, my, my religion or anything like that. Um, Versus kind of the reaction that we have against plants and against, you know, flowers and stuff like that. So um, yeah, just knowing like how these uh, preconceived notions come to be, um, It's just, and it's shocking, right? Like the effect that the culture can have on certain things like this. Um, 
you know, in Canada, like these laws came about to kind of stop immigration of Jamaicans coming into Canada. Like, oh, you know, this was, this was, you know, cannabis was used in Canada before that as medication it was prescribed as well. Um, and same with opium also relating to racist, yeah. um, you know, immigration laws. And then, interesting, yeah. And then we kind of, yeah, demonize substances like this for, and all I'm saying is that the demonization of certain substances is not, it's not, um, they're not doing it equally across the field. Like, you know, right. Tylenol, anything prescribed, that's okay. But meanwhile, anything natural like that is going to be demonized. And and there are people in the punt in the community that don't drink caffeine because, you know, they have this idea, like, we don't want to just, you know, change our mental state in any way. And caffeine definitely changes your mental state. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. There's other know, problems with caffeine. I mean, consistent. if you, if you're going to treat uh, if you're trying to look at it from an ethical point of view, like caffeine, they used to um, extract the caffeine from used tea leaves and then put it into mm. these drinks. But now they actually extract it from coal tar, which is a byproduct of fossil fuels. So of the oil mm. industry. So you could even argue that it's way worse ethically <laughs> to consume caffeine than cannabis or anything else because of where it comes from now. It's not even a natural plant source anymore. And it's coming from a source that's arguably damaging the planet and hurting people's health outside of just the use of the drug itself. So <laughs> for sure, for sure, hurting people's health. And, and, and in that regard, people will say like, you know, and another thing I want to address is also like, even if you are anti any substance, which is a fair, very fair point to have, like, it, you, wouldn't you want to know how certain communities over time utilize and maybe didn't utilize certain things? Like, yeah. that should be in your toolbox when addressing these subjects, if you're trying to curb perhaps abuse, right? And abuse occurs through everything from caffeine to right. sugar. You right. know, I know we are going to like mandate like against sugar and gorduras and stuff like you know we well, have an obesity if, if you we leave have it up to some people they will t- they will try <laughs> <laughs> there are people that would try <laughs> right but all of which to say like you know abuse occurs um through yeah you know not just the specific substances through a whole range of things and then we have to tackle the problem in a more sophisticated way because just outlying certain things and not outlying other things it's just it's just inconsistent I'm not sure if it's going to help, but um, anyways, in in looking at these old texts, we can see, and that'll give a better insight as well for us, like why were these used? And perhaps these old texts talk about it. And and that's what I'm trying to unearth um, and just looking at the broader history as well, pre-colonial. So, well, you know, in, in um, not just Sujit Prakash, but like even Panth Prakash with Ratan Singh Pangu, like I said, I, you look at them and you look for clues as to the environment of the time. Mm. And, you know, now Basaki, like today we had Amrit Sanjar this morning at our Gurdwara. We've been having smogam like all weekend here. And, um, you know, people are excited and I'm actually going to be doing a presentation on Basaki next weekend. <clears throat> and I've been going through looking at stuff, trying to figure out, you know, how to frame it. And one thing that I, you, we always heard the story, you know, that Grugo Vincent stands on the stage and he asks for a head and everybody goes quiet, you know, if you looked at it through the lens of how people act and talk today, why would anybody go quiet? 
we all are like, oh, I would give my head. You know, like how come 10,000 people aren't raising their hands saying me first, me first, you know? And you, so when you think about that story, then you start to think, okay, you know, why didn't people want to jump on the stage for Google Binsing? Because we act like we would. And then um, you get clues and and bunt for gosh that leading up to that time, um, many six had started to think that Google Binsing was crazy, that he had lost his mind, that he had lost his way. And they were going to Mata Gujri and complaining about him and asking her to do something and take over. Like, you know, like, so now when you kind of frame it that way, that the you got 80,000 people, whatever they say it is, sitting out there and Google Vincent comes out on stage, draws his sword and says he needs a head. Now it makes sense. Now you're like, okay, I understand. People didn't know what to think. They thought he had lost his mind. They didn't know if he was really going to cut off a head or not. And whether he did or not, you know, in the tent, I know some people will say, of course he did. And sewed them back on different bodies and put Amrit in their mouth. Some people say, no, it's just a show. It's lamb's blood. And then other people say, you know, whatever. <clears throat> That's not even the point. The point is, why didn't tons of people jump on the stage? Why did only five come up? And then you start to understand, oh, people were competing for the Guru's attention, for their own gain, to become known as great Where You had the broad clan over here and you had this other clan here and they're competing to be the best warriors for the Guru. They weren't really completely like the Gursik ide ideological image we have that they all wore like orange damalas and an orange gamarkasa mm -hmm. with a blue chola and they all did fate in, in, in synchrony, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So then you start to realize they were real people. They were interacting with the guru in a normal way. The very close Gursiks who really understood him were the ones that were rare and unique, which is probably what we see today too. We, we claim 25 million six around the world. You know, <laughs> I'm guessing back then it was percentage wise. It was probably the same few that were dedicated, others that were around the guru that called him their guru, but they didn't know what to think, you know? So when you said that, yeah, hey, go, go ahead. Sorry. Isn't that why some of these old texts are so interesting? It's like, cause right there, you're like, okay, we would have thought this way that everybody would have jumped on. And in the old text, you get kind of a more gray, yeah. kind of a more interesting kind of uh, picture because you know, that is, as we see today, like what you're saying, like, yeah, like not everybody is going to be, you know, jumping on board. And <laughs> I think what is so interesting to me in looking at like Suraj Prakash and what comes out on the podcast is are those dynamics are like, you know, in the family of the guru, what are the dynamics like? Right. Like who's saying what? And like you have that, right? Like the Masans during that time, Guru Gobind Singh's time. We're going to Mata Guruji and Gujarati and saying, you know, this is not a good idea, like yeah. what he's doing. And th those type of ideas are really fascinating to me because, yeah, we have this idealistic kind of thought of like everybody's going to be like, you know, thumbs up, jumping right. on board. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, kind of that dynamic. And, and it also shows you then, and this is the most interesting thing for me, is like, how does uh, spirituality materialize in action? for a sick. And that's something that comes out on the podcast and, and kind of in, in these old texts. So it's one thing for us to just kind of look at Gurbani and kind of in our own mind, try to imagine how that materializes. But 
like, and this is why Pai Mani Singh wrote his Sikhani Pagatmala, right? So in Pai Gurdas's Vara, in his 11th Vara, he writes a list of names of six, but he doesn't explain much. He just kind of lists their names. So in Pai Mani Singh's time, early 1700s, six ask Mani Singh, like, um, you know, Pai Gurdas has written these names. Can you tell us stories about them? And he's like, yeah, I have stories on all of them. They're kind of back and forth. They're dialogues. He's inherited these stories from the traditions as well. He spent time with the Guru and the close uh, attendance of the Guru and the family, the wives and all that. So he writes these stories. And in those stories, then you get to see kind of the back and forth between the Sikhs and the Guru. And you also hear about, okay, like, for example, in the podcast as well, this comes out in which is a text written at the behest of Pai Mani Singh. Somebody's writing it and uh, Mani Singh's explaining what was happening during the time of Guru Hargobind. For example, Pai Gurdas and Bidichan. There's a portion in there where Pai Gurdas actually kind of slips a little from his um, state and he kind of runs away, essentially. Um, he spends time in Kashi and Banaras. He doesn't want to come back. He feels a little bit of ashamed and then he comes back. And in these stories, it tells you that even though these people like are Brahmganis, they're like they're close attendants of the guru, even they can slip, like anybody yeah. can slip. And this is and just that those type of insights, it's like, oh, that's really interesting. That's not maybe how we've perceived spirituality nowadays, in the sense that, oh, if a Brahmgani, a Brahmgani is always going to be a Brahmgani, anything they do is perfect. Um, they show there that you know, people you know, can slip and how spirituality materializes. Anyways, that's really fascinating to me because yeah, no, it's really different because like, of course, now <clears throat> again, you know, that we have this imagination of what those Gursiks would be like based on what we mm-hmm. think we would do. It's really egotistical because we think we would be this perfect follower, but really we're just as human as anybody else. And things the guru is going to say things and do things that aren't going to make sense to us you know i i can i uh, i can imagine if guru gobind singh was here in physical form and he started to say something that we didn't agree with because the ratmada says something different or because you know we've been taught something different you know and then we would be like oh no 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 he's wrong we shouldn't do that you know <laughs> but the same person that would be like i would do whatever the guru says okay well the guru says <clears throat> instead of that bana, I want you to wear tactical gear, like pants and a tactical shirt. You'd be like, no, 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 but this is Guru's bana. I can't do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's really, really what you're doing is you've imagined what yes. the Guru would want and how the six must have acted. But I, that, that's one thing that really comes out clear. Like even the relationships going in and out, um, <clears throat> like uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start mixing up all the names, but um, there was the, um, the I, I guess they were like from Kashmir, no, not from Kashmir, from Afghanistan. There was warriors that were with Guru Hargobind, so like he was a younger mm. guy, really strong. Um, yeah, Bandekhan. Yeah. Bandekhan. Bandekhan was a uh, really strong. The Guru favored him so much. Six were jealous of the favor yeah. he got, and then later on, Guru Sab has to battle him. Mm. Right. So imagine being that close with the Guru, having that much favor, and then something happens and now paths are crossed and now you're on the opposite side. I mean, that yeah. really highlights. And the other thing I got from that too, was that picked this up from your podcast. <coughs> People consider themselves six of the guru, but they didn't necessarily abandon their religious beliefs. So even though um, 
uh, like you had that Wazir Khan, the Gursik, but he was still part of the Mughal Empire and he considered himself a follower of the Guru, but he wasn't necessarily abandoning being a Muslim. Right. Like that, that kind of personality trait, like today we're very clear. You're either this or you're that. And Mm -hmm. I I got the feeling listening to it, that people followed the guru because they saw something beyond and not necessarily something in contrast to. Mm. Yeah. And it also kind of points to pre-colonial different conceptions about identity as well. Right. So, Mm. but yeah, no, you're hundred percent. There's lines, uh, that person which has uh, the illusion of Maya removed from their heart, this in front of them, who's yeah. a Hindu, who's a Thoruk, they just see Paramatma, yeah. right? It's not what's on the exterior, but for sure, like even like there's a story in uh, the podcast about Babak Rababi. So yeah. Babak, you know, a very, very common Persian name. Uh, he's a Mughal, he's, he's a Rababi, he's somebody who sings Gurbani. He performs Asa Divar every morning for Guru Hargobind. Hmm. He fights in the Jang as well. So he's a Surma, he's a warrior as well. Yeah. And when he passes away, he's buried. Like he's not, they don't cremate right. him because his family has these traditions. And this is something as well that I want to contextualize in regard, in regard to the weddings as well. People will say, you know, on the podcast, how come when you describe the weddings, they're so different than how we have weddings today. And I would say it's clear from pre-colonial sources that notions about, you know, uh, birth rights, wedding rights, funeral rights, et cetera, have evolved in the community over time. And, um, you know, during the time of the gurus, perhaps they were not as kind of concrete as we have them today, which is fine. Things evolved just like things evolved with the Khalsa right, Amrit right. Sanchad over time. And um, yeah, like one thing that it mentions in the text is that like that's kol rit, kol dirit. So it's the traditions of the family. Families, it's not like a sick right. tradition. It's just like that the family, that's how they used to do it for many, uh, you know, generations. And they continued on with that generation, understanding that that's a familial tradition. And that's all it is. It's just a familial tradition. It's nothing beyond that. Um, and so that's what they used to do. And that's the thing, like Baba Krababi had his funeral tradition. Yeah. Um, and the six had their own, like they yeah, were so cremated, yeah, I, I, what I What I took from that, the weddings and the funerals, is that <coughs> Guru Sahib isn't concerned with the specific ritual, right? Like that doesn't matter. Even what we do now, it's just a ceremony. It's not really the important part, right? It's fine. It's evolved over time. And maybe it's important today to have those as our own identity, especially considering the political climate and things that were going on in Punjab and in India. But um, um, that actual part of it is not important. The important Mm. part is that there is a social witness to the wedding. There's a um, social witness to the funeral and how the person is honored and treated. And you have this kind of acknowledgement between everybody that this is where where it happened. It didn't matter. It could have been it could have been in a church wedding or whatever. But now we have our traditions. But it wasn't the important thing. The important thing is more what comes out of it. You know what is that relationship that comes out of it? So yeah, I definitely I definitely felt Agreed, that. Yeah, yeah like um, just the way everything is kind of framed. Now other things that kind of get a little touchy and controversial are you know like. Guru Hargobind Sahib has um, multiple wives, and then there's Konla. That that's kind of a 
hard thing to fit. Um, Gola, yeah, Gola is an interesting case, uh, especially because you see how the family reacts when yeah. she's kind of brought in. And Guru Hargobind is like, yeah, we'll just kind of have her in the residence with, you know, his mother and his three wives. And basically, uh, Mata Gangaji is like, uh, no, she, yeah. she's Gola is not stay, staying with us. Um, so they have to construct a different building. It's a really interesting. Um, and this is the thing as well. It's like um, kind of throwing back to what you said earlier about like in our mind, we're going to be like, oh, the guru shouldn't do this. He should do this. Right. It's like, do we have the ability to say um, when, you know, in our tradition, we say that the guru is playing a game of so many more dimensions than we can see. Right. Um, so how are we going to, ever judge if could we if we can't even like see um at what level they're playing at this right. entire game right this lila this kale that they're constructing so it becomes impossible for us to judge but yeah they're the three wives and this is uh something that i think it's interesting how the poets and Singh reference this as i think it was the second or the third marriage it's just in a very quick line he just says like just like a Maharaja because the right. Guru had now become a Mir, like Miri and Piri. Right. Piri, the spiritual, and Miri, the royal, the sovereign. Right. Um, like at that time, if you were in royalty, if you were somebody that was kind of engaged politically and kind of in that way, uh, you were making marriages with different families for you know, alliances. It, it was, it was diplomacy. It was politics. It was, it was a lot of things happening in a marriage. Yeah. So in that way, that's like one way that the poets and Tolkien has kind of uh, contextualized that. And, and it does make sense, right? Like that in that time period, that's how people were engaging with marriage. Like it was marriage. And even like Mata Marvahi's name, Marvahi is the name of the location um, of basically uh, her family. Her real name was Mata Devi or uh, Mahadevi, sorry. So like they weren't even really using in the text her name. Like it's always a throwback to like okay, like that represents a family or an alliance that uh, the guru has constructed and um, etc. So that's one way to understand it. And these are definitely questions I get a lot in relation to that uh, and that history. But and this is a very difficult thing because it's not like it's it was ever debated. Like it's it's talked about now, right? In the last twenty thirty years, it's like oh, like does Sikhi support polygamy? And it's a very um, interesting question because, you know, Guru Gobind Singh as well had three wives, right? Um, so, and these are like not points that you can debate in the sense that like every pre-colonial text, even post-colonial basically mentions this. So, well, well you know, no, we... I don't know that it can't be debated. I mean, like I've heard people say like with Guru Gobind Singh that, okay, um, Mata Sahib Kaur, she's the mother of the Khalsa. He didn't really have a, a, a Grishti relationship with her. And then uh, Ajit Kaur and Sundari or, and, and, and Jito, they're the same person. It's just different names for the same person. You know, and maybe like even Guru Hargobind thing, I can tell you, I have a very hard time accepting it too. And I, I but I'm, I'm aware of why, but I do have a hard time accepting it. The problem I have is <laughs> the incredible amount of detail. 
Like (laughs) when you see how much detail this person is from here, this is the year it happened. This was who was involved, you know, and you're like, oh, geez. So you mean to tell me somebody sat down and made up that much detail and explanation and backstory and you know, then you're like, that doesn't, that's the, that's not even logical. That's not even reasonable to think that somebody could do that. So then it start. it sounds very true when you look at it historically and logically, mm. but emotionally and um, based on my Sikhi philosophy and you could call it post-colonial mentality, whatever it is, I have a very hard time wrapping my head around that the guru would have multiple wives. It's still, I mean, yeah. even still. This is a thing. Um, I mean, so like you said, it's not debatable. Like I should be clear, like you could say from an ideological perspective, and that's what hmm, is happening okay. here, right? You're saying like, you know, that idea like Jito and Sundari Mataji's ha- are the same person, but the name is switched. Uh, that's not a textual argument because like you were saying, there's so much detail. So the, hmm. that detail like, you know, that detail from the podcast in relation to Guru Hargobind, that detail is also there. If you look yeah. at these texts yeah. for Guru Gomez saying Mata Jito comes from this family. This was her life. She passes away here. Mata Sundari, you know, carries on. She's in Delhi for some time. She's writing Hukam Name, right. um, uh, you know, so that amount of details there as well. You can make that argument as well. Like, yeah, Guru Gobind Singh never had a Christi in the sense of the marriage was never consummated with Mata uh, Saib Deva. And um, that is something that's written in the tradition at that time that Guru Gobind Singh did not consummate that marriage. Um, You find that in pre-colonial texts as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, so that is mentioned that, 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 that is mentioned, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is interesting, right? why is it uncomfortable? Like then we start peeling back layers about, okay, where is my source? Where's my perspective? Where's my ideas coming from? Is it coming from the Western conception about mirrors? Is is it coming from how I've interpreted Sikhi? Like, and these are questions that I've had as well. Like I'm I'm trying to think through this as well. Um, Other people have these questions as well, especially when you look at Gurbani of, like Guru Gom Singh in terms of his writings on Dasam Granth, right? A lot of us would have the idea that, um, and it's an honest opinion, and it should be treated as an honest opinion, just like as we see in the stories of Guru Hargobind. Those six who were questioning Guru Hargobind, they were not like especially evil people. Right. They just, right. they had a different conception of what Sikhi was, right? Right. For them, Sikhi wasn't wearing a sword which would rip somebody in half. To them, right. they saw that and they were like, that is like, astonishingly demonic to right. wear a weapon. And, th- and that was their honest opinion, right? They understood Sikhi in a different lens and albeit uh, deviant from how the tradition went from there on afterward. But, but you know what? There's you know, something that... interesting there too, because um, I always compare a grunt in Grusab's time was their most modern technology, most, that was their media. That was how they mm. got information. And think about how slow that process is. Take this bead, take it and go make copies and take those copies and distribute them here and then educate people on how to do kata from, you know, like such a slow process, but that was the best technology they had. That was their media, you know? Um, so that made sense that, different people are going to have very different interpretations or different ideas about Sikhi and the changes will be shocking because 
you have this one idea and then you go and you see, oh, things are progressing, but they're not progressing based on what my previous understanding was. Whereas today, the, the guru could just go on YouTube and go live to the whole world and say, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, totally. The, the media has totally changed, but I, I do agree with you that, you know, this, the, the writings of the guru are ways to kind of convey the philosophy, the ideas, um, the rust experience that the guru wants to kind of imbue within his six for sure. Um, there are ways to encode that in a way that kind of hopefully continues on the meanings and the traditions that they wish. Like a lot of people ask why Ladivar, like the kind of writing Gurbani, um, yeah kind of conjoined why was that a tradition and i think that it does give us hints to um you know ways in which it requires certain amount of training and in that training then you're also prescribing like how are these texts to be interpreted um over time and so you know those type of mediums and those type of ways of conveying information can hopefully retain uh, meaning over time. Um, but yeah, for sure. It's um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't mean to imply that the guru instead of creating a grant would now just have a YouTube channel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to say that. I'm just saying like, you can see the movement of information, how slow it would be compared to today. Right. Mm. So, so keeping that in mind, it's interesting to see how people that maybe met Guru Nanak Dev Ji and never met any of the other gurus how they practice and then because you know good night they traveled everywhere right so mm. and then you could see how somebody who maybe was in google vincing's time might have a totally different impression of what a sick yeah i wanted to add to that because you know just recently in the Sudish podcast there was a portion where uh guru hargovan met with the uh, lineage of guru amardashi and he met with sundarji it's very uh, famous, um, he's a great, or the grandson, the great grandson of Guru Amar Dasi, I believe. And um, even Sundarji asks, and Sundar has a, a component in Guru Granth Sahib. He's written this Bani called Sad, and uh, it's in Rag uh, Ramkali. And um, even as it's described in the text, Sundarji is asking Guru Hargobind, like, you know, what's the deal? Like, you've adorned all these weapons. You're now in battles with the Mughal Empire. Like, this is such a departure from right. previous gurus, but he's asking it very genuinely. It's not like a, it's not a question of a, or a critique. It's just like, right. help me. This is different. Help me understand this difference. And that's such a, like, a humble way of, of, of approaching it as well. Because, um, you know, as mentioned in um, Gurbani and in uh, these stories of Guru Hargobind, like when he talks about what's the root of Sikhi, Sikhi, the root of it is Nimrta, right? Humility. Right. And right. and it's like in that ground of humility where Sikhi can take birth. If you don't have that, you have no foundation, right? And it's like, that's such a good way for all of us to think about these old texts as well. It's like, okay, Dasam is different than Ad Guru Gansai. I don't understand the difference, but, you know, that's my fault. That's not the fault of the text. People have this um, all this all the time where it's just like, okay, there's something different um, in the tradition here. I don't understand it. So that means it must be wrong. Like there's a lot of stories about Guru Hargobind and Guru Gobind Singh actually, where there's this one story that comes up where Sangat comes from Banaras. Mm. Uh, so congregations come from uh, East India and they come to see Guru Hargobind. At the time, Guru Hargobind has a hawk on his hand and he's like feeding it meat 
Mm. And which means like, obviously that meat was cut up from another animal. Hawks have to live right. with meat. You're not like feeding it like milk or whatever. And the Sangha to seeing this blood on the Guru's hands and he's feeding another animal to this animal. And, and they're like, man, this is so weird. Guru Nanak and his lineage support hunting and the killing of animals. And, you know, how does this make sense? And the Guru explains to him, uh, you know, in a way that that person would understand talking about, listen, you don't understand, you know, Chodasi anyway, it's the cycle of life and birth. <laughs> so let me explain to you that, you know, there's some story that relates to why we're doing this, but um, that's, that comes up a lot in these stories as well, which is so interesting to know just as researchers and, and people who look back at Sikh history, it's like, oh yeah, people also were confused about certain things. How do we interpret right, this? Why are the right. gurus doing this? Like, this is not new. These questions are not new, which is why it's so awesome to kind of read of old. Like, how did people engage with this? Because I think that's one thing that you're right when you're talking about Amrit, like Vasaki, sorry. Like everybody has a kind of this like, they think everybody was just on board with everything and everybody was right. so Chardikala and everything worked out so amazing. It's like, it's a lot more gray than that. And it's actually a lot more fun when you realize that. Like, right. yeah, people were human. People were confused. People needed answers. And and that's why there was a guru to yeah. kind of guide people through but these also, situations. It also makes it so much more important. It shows you the value of the Panjabiyade. In mm. that confusion, in that doubt, in that fear people are feeling, that makes it that much more significant that the Panjabiyade did that. You know, and I, and that's why I'm always, like I said, I'm always looking at these texts for clues instead of an, like specific answers. You mm. know, and, and then I have to also accept that even the clues I get and the interpretation I make could be wrong. But I got to go with what makes the most sense to me also, you know, because mm. I, I, the history is inspiring to me, but really the source is Gurbani. For me, Gurbani is what everything centers around. So even if history conflicts with it and logically my brain might say, well, that history makes sense, but it conflicts with something that I understand in Gurbani, I just won't, I just won't accept it or implement it in the way I practice Sikhi. Mm. Right? And so I, I can, I can separate things like that out, but I can understand why it's difficult for a lot of people. Like, for example, I want, I wanted to ask you this because it does come up in the Suresh Prakash, the, the miracles the gurus are doing. What are your thoughts? Like, do you believe, do you believe that the gurus were doing miracles? Like you personally, I know I, I I've also noticed that you've been very good about putting everything in context and saying everything, but you don't really interject too much your thoughts and what what you believe uh that, well that's largely because you know what i believe is going to change over time and what i believe is highly subject to error and fault and okay. so i kind of yeah. defer um to the greats and see how they wrote it and try to understand how they wrote it uh in this way like by gurdas himself is talking about guru nanak devji you know performing miracles yeah um and specifically relating to the say the ghost um you know uh, yeah. event. So how do we interpret that? Do we interpret that as, um, you know, this is some type of literary trope or kind of a device that, uh, are, are being employed for specific reasons. Um, 
are we to understand that as, for example, when you're young, you think, yeah, my dad could move a mountain, you know, and that's a, that's a really good thing to have as a kid. You know, it's Hmm. even you look back at that idea when you're little and, and you think fondly of that, you know what I mean? And then later on you get older and perhaps a little bit more cynical and you're like, ah, my, you know, my dad is just a dude or my you know, grandfather is just a dude and I'm a dude and we're all the same and everybody makes mistakes and all this type of stuff. You can take that uh, perspective. Um, but you do realize that at certain points of your development, you need to hold on to certain ideas to get you through life. Like when you're little, that idea that, okay, my mom and my father are around and I'm safe now because they can stop anything. They can do anything they want. Um, that's really comforting. And that's really, um, uh, an idea that's certainly pushed in Gurbani that the Guru and Paramatma, the divine, is like that, that they can make anything happen and they can support you. And so I, I think that is an important perspective to take. I do understand the flip side of that perspective is that if the Guru is like Superman and if they can do anything, then is it even meaningful the fact that they were on a hot metal plate like Guru Arjan Devji? there's a perspective that suggests that it's less meaningful that if they could sustain that uh, without feeling anything, then it's like, okay, well, whatever. That's just like him eating ice cream. Like there's no difference. But if you think of it from the perspective of they endured that pain and still they didn't like waver at all, then you're like, Oh man, that's so meaningful that the guru went through that pain knowing that he could have stopped it. Um, but he still uh, persevered and that gives you inspiration that if there's, you know, uh, any type of dok sok that comes in my life that I'm going to try to channel that I'm going to try to think about that. And that's my ideal. So there's different perspectives that are, um, worthwhile to engage in and to embody depending on the circumstance of one's own life. And I think that's why in my mind that these poets and these authors are writing the histories in these ways to kind of appeal to a variety of audiences um, who might need certain things at certain times. Um, So that's one way to think about it. And that's the way I like to think about it as well, to be honest. Mm. Interesting. <clears throat> I guess in context, um, so simple. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. Just to add to that, oh, just yeah, yeah. when you I mean, just because you're going to be talking about Vasaki uh, coming up very soon, hmm. it's like there's, there's various perspectives about what happened that day, right? Some perspective is yeah. that, so if you read like Ratan Singh Pangu, Pant Prakash, you read Suresh Prakash, there's a tent there and the hmm. tent, uh, the guru, you know, calls somebody in. Um, he emerges out of the tent with a bloody sword. And in the text, it's kind of going behind the curtains and saying, yeah, there was a goat there. The guru chopped the goat's head off and uh, he came out and uh, he was playing a chiritta. He was playing a, a trick of deception on the sangat right. in a sense, right? And and if you look at through that light, it's very, you know, it's it's entertaining mm. and, it's, and it's really interesting how the guru is doing this. Or if you look at the light that, oh, the guru is actually chopping somebody's head off. And then, you know, through the miracle of, of, of the guru can uh, give life and take life and kind of restore life. If you take that, um, you know, miracle to be true, then that makes sense. But those people um, who get really, you know, that's a very heated, uh, controversial topic. People get very... Uh, emotional about it 
when you say, okay, maybe there's a tent there and the guru was playing kind of a, a, a kind of a trick and kind yeah, of testing yeah. his six, right? Because uh, then they say, oh, you don't believe the guru can do a miracle. And that uh, that is offensive yeah, to some or, people. Or that the guru would have to test anybody that he would know. Yeah. Right, you know, like, yeah, you're right. Like it gets whatever, but <clears throat> I guess for me, I'm thinking of it like, okay, Baitaru Singh's story. Uh, Zakir Khan is... Um, he can't, he, he can't go to the bathroom, right? And they tell him you have to get Baitaru Singh's chappal and beat him in the head. And every time he would get beat in the head, he would relieve himself a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more and have, and it, it, that's what it took. Like, that's a kind of a miraculous story. But it to me, that's not that hard to accept, <laughs> okay? But then <clears throat> one story that, that does bug me is uh, Baba Bakala. Guru Harkrishnji is on his deathbed and he says, Baba Bakala. So now you have Makanshalabana on a boat doing Ardas, and Guru Saab says to him, Bring me 500 gold pieces, whatever. And now word gets out and all these people show up there and he starts passing out one gold coin. And then when he gets to Guru Tegh Bahadurji, he says, Well, where's the rest of the money? Right. You know, then they go, Oh, he's the Guru. Now he's the Guru. Right. That always bugged me because I thought, Why wouldn't Guru Harkrishnji just say, Uncle Teg Bahadur. I mean, it's his dying words. He still said Baba Bakala. He could have just said Uncle Teg Bahadur. And could have been specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it would have like solved all the problems. Cause then it's almost like you're creating a story, or I shouldn't say it's created because I don't really know, but the story has to have this miraculous component to it. Otherwise, we wouldn't know who the next guru would be. Whereas all along, the gurus were very clear here passing on Gurgaddi because they didn't want confusion. That, that, that one always bugged me. So I have a harder time swallowing that whole story as a whole, but there's other ones I accept rather easily. You know, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, maybe that happened. Maybe that's how, you know, some of the Guru Nanak Devji stuff, you know? I yeah. Know. I would say, um, yeah, I, I talked extensively about this on, um, so if you check Jawala Singh YouTube channel, there's one merit, a myth, and there's also one on Kardag Singh. Kardag Singh is a prasang, a, a passage out of Dasam Granth that talks about a warrior whose head is chopped off oh, yeah, and continues yeah. to battle, just like is mirrored in how we talk about Baba Deep Singh. Like yeah, the Baba yeah. Deep Singh story is kind of equivalent to what you're talking about. It's a myth. It's a story that, and I don't mean myth in a negative sense, is a, is a story that um, Baba Deep Singh is a warrior. He gets his head chopped off. He continues fighting. And people take that also very seriously in, in the sense that if you say that, oh, perhaps the head didn't entirely come off, people get yeah. really offended about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And all, all I would say, just like in the same thing about Guru Tegh Bahadur you mentioned, is that if you think that, okay, um, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about that story. I don't know how to take it. You know, do what you did with the Batman uh, uh, reference, right? What's happening underneath that? What's happening underneath that is saying that Guru Tegh Bahadur is Antar Jami. He's the one who reads, who knows all hearts. And when you think about the divine, um, you know, that's a characteristic that's drawn out in Guru Granth Sahib as well, that the divine is kind of residing within everybody's heart and knows everybody's heart, knows what everybody's thinking. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to prove, they're trying to utilize that characteristic that going that virtue and and uh, playing that out through a storytelling um technique with the story of Guru Tegh Bahadur and that you know getting Gurgaddi so um there's I would always say 
there's always a deeper level you can go in these stories. And that's why I find these stories so fascinating is that they mm. work on a variety of levels. So right. for example, that level um, where um, like somebody says, yeah, I don't think your dad could move that mountain. You know, as a kid, you're going to be like, Oh, my dad could do anything yeah. in the my same sense. Than your dad, he can do it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And at the same sense, like they're writing, uh, for like such a broad audience. And I think that, you know, what we have not been good at in the West so far is kind of explaining that, that deeper level of understanding that what is myth in terms of storytelling? What is it actually doing? Like, how is it penetrating different audiences in different ways and, no, that's and really making interesting. it? And that's yeah. something that I think people um, in the West are doing very well when they're studying storytelling and, and myth. And that's something that I am looking at as well, like how to interpret these pre-colonial stories. Yeah, you know, okay, I mean, you just said that and it kind of opened up my mind to a bunch of stuff. Like one thing is often in movies that are uh, documentary and style, but like it's actually a Hollywood film, but it's talking about real events. They'll often, because they know they have a two-hour window, they have an audience, they have to tell this story. They'll often take like three characters from real life and combine them into one new character that they just make up so that they Mm. can tell the story of the main character and get all those components because they can't go into, you only have two hours to tell a story. They do that all the time. One of the, you know, like... Um, Bruce Lee, drag, the dragon, uh, dragon Bruce Lee story. Um, that movie that, that also takes like situations and tells them in different order to tell a movie. To, so you get the point of how good Bruce Lee is, but historically inaccurate. So um, I can, when you were saying that kind of clicked with me, like, I don't know how much people were accurately documenting real life with their works. It's just like the paintings. It always drives me crazy. You have a painting of an adult, then they draw a <laughs> painting of a child, and it's just a small miniature version. <laughs> the proportions are all off. I'm like, they're not even trying to capture, but then that that's the whole point. They're not trying to capture it as realistically as possible. They're using their art techniques to tell a story in the same way when they're writing history, they don't see the value of historical accuracy. This happened on this date at this time, specifically he was walking in this direction, you know, like now I can kind of see that talking to you, like, okay, our Gravani, our philosophy, all of that is done artistically. So maybe Mm. the history is just told artistically. They don't have a device for like we do today where we're like, you know, document the minutes of exactly what happened right how boring how boring would that be if we just had minutes of like okay <laughs> you know guru nari that you woke up this time then he had this <laughs> to eat and then he did this you you know that would be very difficult to engage with and then that's why i think gurbani and itahas is also written in poetry right so right, even right. the historical stuff is written in poetry why what does poetry do where they like incapable of writing outside of poetry. Sandok Singh did write outside of poetry when he's writing a commentary on Japji side. You know, these people could write, you know, not in poetry, but they chose poetry wide because it has a way to make you experience something in a very deep land. Just yeah, like yeah, it brings the you, emotions in. Yeah. And that's what 
is meaningful, right? When you have emotion, like you can make a rational argument about this and that. And as we've seen in politics more recently, you just sidestep all the rational, you make an emotional plea and that right. binds people in, binds right. people in who pride themselves on rationality. Yeah. Right. right. Even still, emotions are so deeply embedded within us that when you hear these stories, like, like you mentioned, Bande Khan, issues of jealousy, yeah. automatically you're like, oh, I, I've experienced jealousy. Yes, I know yeah. people who are jealous of me. I, right. You know, I've been jealous. You know, all of these type of things. Uh, and specifically in the Bande Khan story, how emotional that story gets. Like Guru Hargobind takes this person in who's an orphan, trains him up. Yeah. He becomes an elite member of the army. Other six are jealous of how elite he's become because he right. comes from a Bataan family. And then eventually the, you start to see his rise and then his decline is happening right now on the podcast where we're recording this now in mid-April. Um, he starts to get egotistical. He starts to separate from the guru. He starts to, uh, and uh, this is not giving away in any type of spoiler because this has already been covered, but you know he ends up fighting against Guru Hargobind. In his last, in Guru Hargobind's last battle, Guru Hargobind has to duel him himself yeah. and, and chops him up and is so emotional when chopping him up because he had raised him like his own kid, right? right? And, you know, Guru Hargobind, when he's, when Bandit Khan's dying, Guru Hargobind says to him, okay, read your Kalama because he comes from an Islamic tradition. Kalama is something like they read, like how we read Kirtan right. Suela at the end when somebody's passing away. And then Bandai Khan just says, you know, basically your sword has become my Kalama now. Your sword has become that which is going to liberate me. So he's asking Guru Hargobind on his deathbed, like, yo, I've made a mistake. I have forgotten how divine you are. Please forgive me. Like, And um, Guru Hargobind, that struck Guru Hargobind so bad. Like Guru Hargobind took a knee, put a shield over Bandai Khan's dying body. Right. Tears were rolling out of the Guru's eyes into Bandai Khan's, onto Bandai Khan's mouth. And Guru Hargobind is just thinking like, man, you know, water does not, like a tree is grown through water, but mm -hmm. water will never drown a piece of lumber. Lumber, <laughs> like trees, right. will always float. rise up, float. Yeah. Because, why? Because water is what gave the tree birth. Like water is what grew it Interesting. out. And yeah. Guru Hargobind is thinking that I raised this kid who was an orphan and now I have chopped him down. You know, yeah. and Guru Hargobha was just kind of thinking about the calamity, the catastrophe of this, you know, um, of this jung, which did not need to happen, right? It happened because of Bernikha's Ahankar, his ego, right. and, and and all of that. Um, and the Guru was put in such an awkward position where he had to kill, like, somebody that, you know, in all accounts, like, if you read the text, Guru Hargobha really has an affinity with this with this yeah. warrior of his who's training so hard, who's earning his way up through the ranks, etc. Well, no, even so, as a listener, you feel that. Like, as a listener, mm -hmm. when I'm listening to it, I'm rooting for the guy. I'm like, oh, they're jealous of him, but he's he's stronger. He's, you know, like, when, when you follow along, you also feel invested in this person. So to see mm -hmm. how it goes down, you're like, oh, my God, this, this is horrible. Like, if only he had stayed on track and then we know people in our lives Sikhi wise yeah. that were in Sikhi, maybe they fall off track. They get on a different track, you know, and they like abandon Sikhi and you feel bad about you. You can relate those kinds of feelings, like what it feels like, because there's some, there's a sense of betrayal and then there's some sadness. And then you still have that feeling like, man, we were, we were really good friends. 
you know, mm. and that's lost now. So yeah, there was a lot of that, like it comes across so clearly. I, it, it really makes it easy to listen to and just draws you in, you know? So you've done an excellent job with that part of it. One technical question though, am I, am I hearing you say con like con instead of con like way like i say it like maybe how american i don't i don't know i'm just saying con with the hard n you kind of say a softer and is that specifically on purpose uh perhaps yeah i think more specifically i'm probably even pronouncing it wrong they definitely don't say it over there as con with a hard n they might say that in the west here but it's more like uh, you know, kakenu kana bindi, like khan or khan. It's actually like a, it's like kaka with a bindi at the bottom. So it's more like ha, it's a, like yes. khan. Yeah, but yeah. It's, okay. it's, I'm, I'm certainly pronouncing that wrong uh, as well. But khan with a hard N is, is not how they pronounce that. But, um, but yeah. yeah it's just, I, thought, uh, I was thinking that I was like listening to you. I'm like, I think he's saying it. And I was like, that must be on purpose. And I know you're like this Punjabi expert. I mean, that's that's what you're at uh, Berkeley. You're teaching Punjabi. That's what you're teaching there, right? Correct. Yeah. So yeah. I'm trying to get it more to how they say it, but also not deviating too far. That if I say like "huh," that nobody's nobody's people will be like, "What did he just say?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is you. also like in translation. You have to like find a way to kind mm. of convey it in a way that uh, people are gonna know what you're talking about so yeah interesting we have this problem um i think in general i i I know a lot of younger people like you are trying to change things but we have this problem in general where there's no depth to anything everything is like little presentation tricks or they're like you know just very generic and then people make stuff up too. I, I hear some people talking. I'm like, you just made that up. That doesn't come from anywhere. You know, yeah. um, we don't, we don't really have this uh, authoritative kind of source and you've, you've kind of created that now, right? You've created this thing that people can reference back and say, okay, how did that story go? What happened there? You know, go back and listen to it and, and, and kind of refresh your memory, take notes. I mean, you could, you can, I mean, I'm really looking forward to upcoming episodes. I just, I think about the, how vastness of this, <laughs> this uh, yeah. writing. I don't there, know. It's going to take you forever. It's going to take was you enough, decades. Yeah. I mean, uh, Santok Singh himself took basically 10 years writing this flat out. Like that's a lot of time to dedicate. <laughs> and uh, Veer Singh himself, when he published this, took about the same amount of time in publishing it. Just that, just editing yeah. it, publishing it. So uh, it's like an uh, enormous text. And um, in regard to making stuff up, that was something that I really wanted to, like I provide context and I provide some insight, which I think would be helpful when listening to the podcast on the side, I, I add some stuff, but Really, I wanted to really defer and just lean on what the text has to offer because it has a lot to offer. And like you said, it's very detailed. And I think that's something shocking that if you guys have not listened to the Swedish podcast, you guys will will come to understand is how detailed of a history that we do have that is right. written down. Right. That that is not recent. Like we can look back and like, how did the six, how did the greats, the legends of old, how did they think about? Right. And then that time and, you know, the relations with the six and the battles and all of that, like this, it's written in such detail that 
it's such a treasure trove that is inaccessible to people um, that cannot listen to Punjabi Katha or can't read Braj Pasha. Right. So, um, you know, this is in in many ways, I feel like we're just doing what the tradition has always done is just make things more accessible. Like, why did why was Gurbani written in a language outside of Sanskrit? Right. Like, the good the gurus could have written in Sanskrit that they wanted and had like five people read it. Like, yeah. They made it in the common they, language. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And then after that, when you have like this, these histories that, that were written, also written in the language that people would understand at that point. Right. And nowadays um, we have people writing in English and that. But to be honest, um, I found the old stuff more enjoyable and you can just tell like how much flavor and the storytelling, like how beautifully it's constructed in terms of storytelling um, and the kind of images that it, it depicts. I just, you can't, no, but that's the whole thing, it. right? Like you're, yeah. you're, you're providing an authenticity to the original work. I think that's the biggest problem. I, that's what I was trying to say. You just said it better is that, um, a lot of people that what they say or what they write in English today isn't authentic to the sources. It's, it's an interpretation of it and a, and a uh, um, watering down of it actually. And when nuance is lost, see, that was the whole key. That's why I was saying like the Vasaki thing, um, you know, people thinking guru is, the guru is crazy. The nuance is what makes that story powerful. When that gets lost, then the whole story becomes something different and it, it's not even relatable. It's not even understandable. Then as a story itself, it starts to just sound like some story, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, you know, like it starts to become like that. So <clears throat> I think staying authentic, the fact that you're doing it in English reaches way bigger audience, even Punjabi speaking people, the English is going to help them. <clears throat> and, uh, if we can get more people to listen, see, I, I think this is the challenge I run into, you know, like my upbringing has more been with Akankirtni Jatha. Okay. That's who we, after 84 is when we got into Sikhi, um, we had Sangat that was Tuxali, Akankirtni. And then, you know, we met people from missionary backgrounds and other people too. So I kind of had this broad thing, but the core Mariada I followed or the core group that I spent time with was mostly a Jatha. And that is a very specific view of Sikhi and very specific style of Mariada, right? <clears throat> There's not a lot of history reading going on in the Jatha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah. and I and I tell people, I'm like, look, you should read it, you should know it. If you think it's gonna waver your faith in Sikhi, then don't read it. Just keep doing what you're doing. But it it shouldn't be that way. If your faith is truly in the guru, then it shouldn't waver your faith. It should just give you some reference or clarity about what our history actually is, whether you believe it or not. Ratan Singh Pangu was the grandson of somebody mm. in Guru Gobind Singh's direct contact. He's way closer to what happened. And he saw the results of the formation of Khalsa army and what was happening. He was there living the results of it. His, we may not accept or believe everything he says, but he has a different, completely different viewpoint than we have several hundred years later, looking back on it, trying to reinterpret it because we make movies and 
that, you know, like cartoons that have like a certain look and feel to them. And then we imagine that's how it is. And then we dress like that when we go to the Gurdwara and we think, okay, this <laughs> that is making us closer. And really none of that is reality. So <clears throat> I try to encourage people, listen to Swedish podcast. Um, you don't believe in Dasam Grunt, go listen to the people that are pro Dasam Grunt and hear what they're saying about it. You don't even know what you don't agree with yet. Mm. If you, um, um, if you don't read Ragamala, you should know why people who read Ragamala continue to read it. Don't just, this happened to me one time. <clears throat> um, cause AKD.org, I was one of the people that created that and built it. And I added a message board that, and that changed everything. The whole site became a different <laughs> beast altogether. And I remember I was an admin, but I was like a technical admin. I didn't really represent anything. I was just like, a I, programmed and I did stuff. But I remember I posted one time about Ragmala. I posted the pros and cons. And I was like, just make up your own mind, but go out and understand both sides. Oh my God. I opened a can of worms with that. I got so much, <laughs> so much slack for how can an admin of this site put the pros of Ragmala? You're like they only wanted to project the cons because they felt like it's confusing people to give them both sides of the story. <clears throat> So I'm always, I've always been, <coughs> sorry. I've always been advocating, even if you don't agree, understand what you don't agree with, you know, and you might, you might read all about Dustin Grunt and why Dustin Grunt is legitimate and everything and reinforce your own belief that it's not all Krugel Vincing's Bonnie, right? You don't even know because you don't know what's, what people are saying. And it's the same with all of this. Like, uh, I know a lot of people have asked me, they're like, well, you know, Santok saying he, he talks a lot of weird things about the guru and he says things. I'm like, have you, have you read it? Do you know? Okay. Cause even if you did, I don't think you'd understand it. Go listen to this podcast. This is where the story of Vidichand is coming from. Right. <laughs> like we, we all had the comic books as kids and we all talked about yeah. Vidichand and everything, but we don't even understand where that's, where that story is coming from. Right. So I think that's it's really, really important. People need to open their minds, listen, read whatever you can, but be confident in what you think and believe like it's okay to interpret it yourself. Yeah. It's uh, a couple of things there. It's like, um, I think these texts are written in a way as well, which is appealing to a, like a broad audience as well. So, for example, these portions about Guru Hargobind going into the forest and hunting, right? Yeah. You can look at that from a variety of different perspectives. You could even look at that from a vegetarian sadhu type of mentality, which there's references in the text that support a certain perspective that would be taken by a vegetarian. Like, for example, uh, the perspective that uh, Guru Hargobind is going into the forest uh, to liberate these animals because there's a history of Chodasi Lakajun mm. that we don't know and the Guru is going out there to liberate these. Th those portions are mentioned. Like mm. that, that is something that Santokhsin throws, you know, he'll throw a line or two here and there being like, right. you know, the Guru, by the Guru's hand, these animals were liberated. Right, you know, right. at the same time, there's another perspective that the Guru is going out to the forest 
taking his sing, like six Urume with him, his sick warriors with him, um, where they are practicing Shastravidya. And this is a component of martial right. training, um, where you're, um, you know, hunting tigers, you're hunting deer, etc. And then there's a political social component that's also mentioned where it talks about the guru, um, like for example, this came up actually really recently. It was a tiger, uh, in a yeah. forest and, uh, you know, there was somebody out there who was, you know, with cows and buffaloes, he's giving his animals out to pasture, etc. They had to eat. And the tiger goes, kills some buffalo, some cows. And the sick is like, you know, what am I going to do? I have all these animals, but there's a tiger in this forest. Help me. And the guru goes out and hunts that tiger. And this is something that, uh, people of that time would do because, you know, we sit in the West and we're kind of so far removed from these societies mm -hmm. where tigers were real harm to people and society. And like even today, now in India, you have tigers that uh, kill and wound, maim, like you know, thousands of people, literally thousands. If you uh, Google it, you'll find stories of India where certain areas are just tiger attacks are so common. Yeah. So, and because no, we don't have that context. About a, you're talking about a tiger. I know a story, and this this story was told to me by somebody about his family. They're all very strict vegetarian, um, but he talked about hunting. He said um, they had their farm fields, and I, I don't know if it's access deer or some other kind of deer. They come in these like hordes, and they run through, and they trample all the crop and destroy all the crop, and then it'll ruin your life. And what they would do is they would kill those deer they would hunt them so that they wouldn't trample their crops and then they would dump the body they were like we used to dump the body that was outside of the village or whatever there was an area where you could dump these dead animal bodies <clears throat> so they were they were doing it for their their own survival for their crops yeah. for their own livelihood um and it wasn't a direct threat of like some you know like a tiger so this is this is deer which a lot of vegetarians would say oh the, you know that's wrong but you know he's like you had to do that otherwise you know your crops are ruined that's the thing it's like there's so many conditions and circumstances which we are unaware of um yet we're so easy to judge right and all i'm yeah. saying with all of those examples are there's many different reasons why the guru could be performing one action right okay. and for us to just have one type of mentality to be like uh you know in my perspective this is incorrect it's like you don't know all the various dimensions in which the guru is acting um mm -hmm. so how are we to judge number one and number two is like when you're talking about the, the authors are way closer to yeah. the reality this is something that i find so funny it's like um for example people will be like oh you know santokhsin came 100 years after guru Gomez saying how's he right. gonna know it's like how how are we gonna know how that? do we know that <laughs> <laughs> because we like casually read gurbani like every well, now I'll, and then i'll tell you what one of the things is there's gonna be this idea that um someone who is more um closer to being a brahmgani or higher up they have revelations and those revelations um are going there and they're not going to but now that that gursik that specific gursik was such a great gursik the mariada and everything was revealed to them by guru sahib and themselves through you know bhakti meditation whatever and that is the truth so whatever you've read has been written incorrectly because this one person in the 20th century had a revelation so for me it's like okay that's no different than reading anything else that <laughs> it mm. actually is worse because 
anybody could claim that. Right. That's a real double-edged sword. That's yeah. a real double-edged sword. That's kind of, we're definitely getting the other edge right now in the community <laughs> where like, where no doubt there've been like, you know, very spiritually enlightened people mm, and scholars right. of the community. And, you know, for a vast population, <clears throat> a good size of the community, perhaps their need is just, you know, they're not going to read a lot. They're not literate until recently people were becoming literate in, in large numbers so um you know they took with good um you know they just listened to the people who were close to them and yeah. you know that's all they could do and, and you know all power to them because you know they didn't have the means to kind of branch out and i think we have the means now to kind of look back and kind of spread what has been the gold standard for many generations um, and we're providing that uh, in a way, like, 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 why is there music on it, right? It's to ha- to help with the reception of these, um, you know, these stories, right? And that's why these things were, first of all, written in poetry, is to help with the reception. So it's right. not a deviation from that tradition. Um, and now we're able to kind of reach those people who are never going to be able to read Suraj, uh, Prakash, or these type of texts, and you can reach them. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, there's also a lot of deception that occurs in the community because of, of people who are put on a pedestal. And that doesn't mean everybody put on pedestals are, are incorrect, incorrectly put on them. But um, Guru Gobind Singh himself writes about this a lot. And I think that's a major reason why he writes uh, like these stories about deception and how people get deceived through a variety of different ways. Like that's text is often associated purely with the romantic and the sexual. But um, if you read the stories in there, they're also talking about, you know, how people play on religion, how people play on um, these notions that one can be a holy person, a holy man, and they abuse those, um, you know, positions. Yeah, and we see it. We we can see that. It's a reality. We're, there's scandals in the Sikh community. Um, I had a Gurpreet Kaur from the Kaur movement. I had her on a couple of episodes ago, you know, and she's exposing people that are using their position as, you know, experts or uh, priests, for lack of a better word, you know, and exactly that. They're using it for their own pleasures and their own gains. And so we can see in real life these things are happening, you know, mm. but I understand. I, I mean, I have I don't pick one way or the other. I just say, I don't know enough, but I'm, yeah. I want to learn. I want to know what's being said, how it's being interpreted, because I think I mentioned this on the episode with Amr Singh, uh, he, cause he had Kamal Roop on and <clears throat> Kamal Roop gave me different perspectives on some of the stories I'd heard many times from one side, like, but well, that can't be Guru Saab because he would never be in a situation like who else, like the story that I think it's a noob core, mm. uh, Guru Gobind Singh talks about the prince of Anandpur, you know, and everybody's like, well, there is no Anandpur side before. So it could only be Guru Gobind Singh. And how would he ever be in a situation like that? But Kamalru put a twist on it. He said, he goes, well, a twist as far as what I'd heard, you may, you, you probably already knew this, but he said, Guru Sahib's talking to the Singhs and he's telling a funny story. And they're all, when they hear Prince of Anandpur Sahib is in this situation, they're all laughing because they know he could never be in a situation like this. But he had a point to make. He was making a point about not letting your guard down and getting yourself in a position where you could be compromised. But he did it in a funny way. When I heard that, I was like, wow, 
I can totally see that now. Makes a lot of sense. The gurus had personality. They weren't just these dry conveyors of, you know, um, here's Turki Bani and follow it. And here's the Mariada and follow it. They had personality and they had, you know, they engaged with the people around them in ways that excited people. Yeah, that's a, that's such an interesting thing to say. It's like the actions of the guru, we can think of them as having pedagogical uh, importance, meaning the actions themselves taken by the guru are teachings. So, for example, um, this is something explicitly mentioned, which I found so interesting about Guru Hargobind. Uh, and just like the most recent episode, I think is Guru Hargobind reciting Sukhmani Sahib in the morning, uh-huh. you know, just before uh, sunrise, waking up early, Amartvela. And it says to carry on or to kind of spread this tradition amongst his six, he sat there and recited Sukhumini Sahib in a very high pitch and a loud, enthusiastic manner. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, what need is there for Guru right. Hargaman to recite Sukhumini Sahib? He himself is like the divine, right? right. Uh, you can yeah. make that argument. Like you right. could say that, like, oh, the, why would the divine, why would the Guru mm. himself need to do part and Bani and that type of stuff, right? Yeah. But there it's saying, he's showing six, okay, now the six are going to be, like, oh, Guru Hargobin himself used to do this. I'm going to do this. And that's something that is so awesome that people can pick across, sorry, people can pick across the traditions. Like, for example, uh, also in a recent podcast, it talks about Guru Hargobin's physical training. And it says yeah. that he's sitting there watching his soldiers, you know, do weighted club exercises, right. do push-ups, do running, do, you know, target practice, practice unloading practice loading their rifles and all that type of stuff and he enjoys it he's he's being happy when people are getting proficient at it he's like okay that's awesome you're doing well here this guy's good at grappling that guy's good at you know and then people can take that and when they're training you know after work they're like oh man should i should i lift these weights and be (laughs) like and then they can picture guru hargaman smiling be like man i should lift that weight that'd be awesome to do that so it's 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 there's pedagogical reasons for these things as well and that's another thing like you mentioned earlier it's like okay something's mentioned there's stories about this or this was a tradition if you don't understand it that's that's it you don't understand it and perhaps you will come to understand it yeah but no, we, it we say that with gurbani all the time right like we say you read this bani sometimes and you're struggling because it's telling you buying a big house is a waste. Being attached to your family is, um, you know, all this stuff. You read that Gurbani and then you go, wait, is it really so bad that I love my son so much? Is it really so <laughs> bad that I bought this house with in a good school district? You know, like we are struggling with it anyway when it comes to Gurbani. For some reason, we can't carry that attitude over when it comes to other yeah. things. You know, but that's it, so smart. I think that's the work so you're doing is actually helping with that. I'm telling you, it opened up my mind and my perspective to so many things. And I really hope other people will uh, follow that example and listen. Just listen to it. Don't you don't have to agree with it all. You don't have to believe it all 100 percent. Just listen to it and understand and, and get the, the feeling I get. The inspiration I get is I think about like I hear the six and how much they love the guru. Like it, it, <laughs> we all say that we love our guru, that we're going to give our head to the guru. We're going to do all of this, but you hear the stories of how they love the guru, the way that like, you know, like you have a bigger brother or you have like a role model and you really love that guy. And, and you, and you want, you can't wait to go hang out again. And just, that's the feeling you get. You start to understand like people, when they're saying they want darshan of the guru, 
yes, there's a spiritual aspect there, but they really just want to see him. They want him to come to their house and eat some food in their house. Mm-hmm. And we have that in our real lives. You, when, when your friends come over, you want to give them something good to eat. And if you've ever been <laughs> to someone's house who you know they don't want you there, that the, like it seems to happen, you know, I, 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 I don't know how much I should say, but like, you know, some auntie would be like, oh, great. Ricky's here. He, you know, he's going to eat all our food or whatever. Everybody calls me Ricky, by the way. I know my name is Mandirsik, but um, he's going to eat all our food. He's going to do this. You know that feeling and you don't feel like eating. You don't feel like mm-hmm. being there. We know, we know those feelings. So when you hear about how, um, the, you know, they're longing to see the guru, mm-hmm. which those analogies are in Gurbani of our relationship to the guru, yeah. of our relationship to Vaiguru. But there is also that real life thing. Then you connect it to, do I feel that way about Guru Granth Sahib? I ha- I have Guru Granth Sahib at the Guru, I, or at the Gurdwara. I have Guru Granth Sahib Prakash in our house. You know, am I feeling that kind of longing that I need to go see the Guru and read the Guru and understand the Guru and, and engage with the Guru? You know, because they did. And in Suraj Prakash, there's so many examples of these Gursiks that did. They truly mm. were like attached to the Guru. And that's inspiring. That's very inspiring. 100%. It makes it real, right? Like you're, you're now drawing analogies to, you know, real life. And that's the point of all of this, all of these stories, I think, as well. It's like, you know, we have Gurbani kind of played out in this real life situation. Like, for example, like these interactions of Guru Hadagaman and his six, right? We're seeing how Gurbani manifests in real life. Like, what does it mean right. to be a like a piara, like a devotee, yeah. a beloved of the guru. And what does it mean for the guru right. to love his six right. as well, right? right? Like when Bidishan passes away, the guru tears up, right? Yeah. And this yeah. is something that it, it mentions in Chopai Sahib as well. Like the divine is pained at when his six are in pain, right? Right. Um, and so it's really interesting that you mentioned like in Gurbani, like, you know, people we kind of a throwback to earlier in the podcast, you mentioned like controversial bits about sukkah, like cannabis, you know, can you go a page or maybe two or three pages at Guru Granth Sahib without finding like stuff about, listen, your family is not going to come with you. Right. And your house right. is just garbage anyways. Why do you like these things? There's always these injunctions here, but it doesn't mean you don't have a family. Right. The Guru's had families, right? right? right. It's just, there's, there's ways that we naturally contextualize that because of the tradition that we're following in, like we know the guru's married, so it's okay for us to get married, but it's not okay for us to just be totally absorbed in the family where we lose our connection with something that's greater than just our body, their bodies, uh, social uh, commitments, et cetera. There's a divine that there's a spiritual that's within every component of the world. Right. And that, that we should be connected with. We naturally understand that because of our conditioning in today's Sikhi and society that, yeah, we do marriages, but it's not to be attached to in the same way food, like on the podcast, there's references to like jalebis and this and that, and all these types yeah. of foods, which is interesting as well. Yeah. But it's like, Gurbani has references. It's like, yeah, don't get like, too consumed with like eating all these fancy foods, this and that and stuff. It doesn't mean never having them or does it mean 
uh, you know, you can have them, but like, don't get absorbed in them. If you're like no, obsessed no, no. with them all the time, right? It's interesting because um, when you think about a lot of that imagery, like Jase Gungeki Matei, right? Like mm. the idea that, you know, the, someone who doesn't know how to speak could explain, you know, what sweets taste like. That's the kind of feeling nom is or whatever. But, uh, and that's a nice one. That's the one that we feel happy about or like a chatrik wanting the boon, you know, the mm. raindrop, you know. Yeah. But this also like, the drug addict, the umbly, like, you know, like th- imagine someone in an alley with a needle in his arm getting high and, be, and they're just rolling their eyes back in their head. Grusab also uses that example to describe what <laughs> Nam feels like. You, you, right. There's so many different metaphors <laughs> right? used, right? But we don't, like we don't, meeting. But, no, but nobody is saying, oh, yeah, 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 we should use drugs because that analogy is there. Somehow we interpret it the other way we're like oh yeah, yeah yeah never never touch drugs because you don't you can't gurusab says not to use drugs well gurusab also used the analogy in a positive way i'm right. not saying that to condone any kind of drug use i'm just saying it's that funny because it's that's there. the line that people pick out right like my yeah, yeah. my like fear or admiration of the divine is my cannabis yeah right but he there's also lines of gurbani that's like my food yeah. there's a line like this where it says like my fear of the divine is my food and my drink you know right. does that mean okay oh we're not allowed to have any type any, of food or yeah, drink. can't eat food or we drink should anything. only yeah we should only yeah. have the fear of the divine as our as our consumption you know, that's not what that, it's not an right. injunction. It's not saying that, okay, right. and under absolutely no condition can we eat anything or drink anything, right? So yeah. we, uh, all I'm saying is that you're absolutely right. Like the, the way in which we interpret Gurbani is socially conditioned to how we are now. And I would just say, let's step back from that a little bit with some Nimurta and just say, the legends, the giants of our community, Pai Mani Singh, Ratan Singh Pangu, Kavi Sindok Singh, these people wrote something Maybe we don't agree with it fully today, and that's okay. Like, we don't have to agree with everything, you know, but and or understand everything. Like, understanding everything is a far task. Um, that is gonna like n- probably never happen, right? The depths of these writings right. are, are beyond our capabilities, even if we may be able to read the kind of superficial exterior meaning of it. All of which to say is that. Let's give deference. Let's give a little bit of respect and uh, let's give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit, even if we don't understand it, um, because we have to, as a Sikh, take the approach of Nimurtha that, listen, I don't understand it, but what do I know? Right. Like, right? Like, I have such a little intellect. We should embody that to say that, okay, I don't understand much. What did... The people before us, what did they write about? Yeah, and, you know, um, I, I, I do agree with you, and I don't think you're not saying what I'm about to say. Um, but ultimately, the Guru's Bani is the ultimate. Like, when you say the legends, the big, I mean, the Gurus were the biggest legends. The Gurus are the ones that we're going to follow. So, um, and I think that, see, I, again, kind of coming back to, like, people's mentality, that we all agree on. If whether you're on mm. Dasam Granth or not Dasam Granth, Ragmala or not, meat or no meat, you know, whatever the controversial topics you want to pick up and and hold yeah. on to for dear life so that you can be in a battle with somebody else. Um, ultimately, we we all have faith in the 10 Gurus. We believe in Guru Granth Sahib. Um, we are on a path together, right? So ultimately, 
Gurbani overrides everything. So like the gurus are the ultimate legends and the Gurbani, the message is the ultimate thing. So if somebody says, I'm not into history, fine. Go read Gurbani, whatever. If you're happy, that's good. But don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to explore it. Um, you, you, there's so much you can learn. Even if you don't believe it, there's so much you can pick up. Like we talked about with the stories, there's, there's, mm. there's meaning there. Get that meaning out of it, you know, and keep it in the line with Gurbani. I think it's that simple. And then maybe yeah. we'll all get along a little bit better. That's kind of what I hope to, <laughs> I want to accomplish that with this podcast. I always wanted that. I love debate. I love, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I want it to be fun and enjoyable. And then at the end, everybody loves each other still. You know, it's okay yeah. for on opposite ends of our mariada and things like that, as long as we're all dedicated to whatever mariada we're following, because it's the guru's mariada. Hmm. Right? So yeah, no, absolutely, and and just coming from the mouth of the guru, there's a hokum number that says like, you know, opposite which or kanala. Everybody yeah. that he's writing to the congregation saying that okay, everybody should come together and and respect and love each other. Um, because yeah, you know, you, why actually, you have that in the podcast where even when they're doing vichar, Guru Hargobind Sahib is explaining how to do vichar, and one mm. of the things was, um, you know, you do it in a in a loving manner, right? Like a um, <clears throat> not in a um, adversarial way. Yeah, no, because vichar. if it is adversarial, nothing's going to come out of it. Mm. So regardless of like whether somebody's actually genuinely looking for an answer on an issue. Um, you know, that there's going to be no solution unless both sides agree uh, respectfully and lovingly. Like, okay, we both want to learn something here. How do we do that? Do you yeah. know about X subject? I know about Y subject. We can exchange. Um, if it's going to be adversarial, nothing's going to happen because yeah. there's very clever people who can twist uh, an argument uh, right. in a certain way. And, um, you know, so yeah, just just debating for the sake of debating is like not any nothing good is going to come out of that. Right, it's just right. Be that's a just, that just becomes an ego battle, yeah. right? We're yeah. not trying to have ego battles, but uh, hundred percent, yeah. But yeah, All I right. think people would be shocked. Um, just to end off here, yeah. Um, that if they have heard about Santok Singh in a negative light. Um, I do urge you to just dip your toe in and just yeah. listen to the Swedish podcast a little bit because you will be shocked at how little um, of what you think is controversial that you'll find in there. I think the majority of it, the vast, oh, yeah. vast majority of it, um, you're going to enjoy um, the writings of Kavi Sintol Singh. They're just brilliant writings. They're absolutely exquisite storytelling. And um, yeah, I think the components that perhaps don't sit well with you um you're gonna find very little of that and yeah. i do want to say though um i am not editing anything out of that uh mm. text so for example you know i'm reading it as it lies this person there i don't understand uh, i'm reading it as it is i try to provide some context and i always say that like a little side note yeah when i say that i'm stepping outside of the text um, and providing my own context but um i am not with my intellect going into the text and editing, chopping stuff out because right. I don't have that ability. And um, in, in the sense that like, you know, what do I know? I'm just trying to convey what the poet Santok Singh has said. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can there, but uh, yeah, there's no editing of the text that I read it as it lies. Yeah. And um, even then I would say to you, everybody there that uh, you're going to find a lot more, uh, 
what you're going to enjoy than what you think is going to be controversial. Hundred percent. Hundred. I found I, that's what I found. I mean, I was curious and I was hooked right away. You know, it's awesome. It's a it's awesome work. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for coming on here and talking about it. I really, really appreciate it. I really hope people will go out. I'll put all your um, links into the description. Um, I'll, if if you have anything specifically you want to put in the description, just send it to me. <clears throat> but uh, I really, really had a lot of fun talking to you. And I invite you to come back anytime you want. You want to talk about some of the other stuff we can talk about. Or if you just want any topic, you know, I'm, I would love to have you back. No, let's do it. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I didn't think we were going go close to two hours now so <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll definitely jump on sometime soon um yeah and chat some more but uh, yeah. i was happy to come on this was really fun so awesome yeah all Thanks. right Javala Singh, thank you very much Why Grujika Khalsa. Khalsa. Why Why Grujika Grujika. Grujika.